brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. There is no empty space. 
It is alive. It is pulsing. It is living. It is intelligent. There is a field of energy that holds everything together. And you and I are part of that field. What we're going to do today, the bottom line, we're going to share the science that tells us, number one, that the field is there. Number two, we're going to discover that our bodies and our world are the materialization of that field. From the unreal to the real, from the invisible to the visible, from the probability of quantum possibilities to the reality of our physical world. And number three, we'll find that the language of human emotion, the language you already know, everyone knows this language. We're going to learn how to use this language to speak to this field, the divine matrix, in a way that is meaningful and useful in our lives. How many feel now that something really big is happening in our world today? Think something really big? Does the world feel different to you? Does it feel different? It's bigger, bigger than Iraq, bigger than George Bush, bigger than who knows? You feel that? It is. 2003, scientists published a report telling us that this is a time unlike any other time in the history of the Earth or the history of humankind. What they say is this. They said there are five scenarios that are unfolding. Five scenarios that are happening right now. And any one of those scenarios, if it goes to completion, could end our civilization, could end our world as we know it. If any one goes to completion... All five of them are happening right now. This is a time unlike any time in recorded human history. But the mystery is that no one knows how this time will end. Because you and I are choosing that outcome right now. And we're doing it in ways that we're only beginning to understand through the new science that tells us that we are not victims of this world. You are not a victim of your world. You don't have to suffer and live in disease and grow old the way that we've believed that science tells us we don't have to use war to solve our problems. And we're living a time when all of those things come together right now. And what gives you and me the power to participate is the fact, and it is a fact, that this field of energy exists and that every one of you is speaking to this field every day. The question is, do you know what you're saying to the field? Do you know what you're saying? How many of you are fans of the Sufi poet Rumi? Any Rumi fans? Rumi? Okay, Rumi. Rumi says, what strange beings we are. He says that sitting in hell, at the bottom of the dark, we are afraid of our own immortality. I think there's probably a lot of truth to what Rumi says, and it may go even deeper. It may go even deeper. What if we're not so afraid of our immortality? What if we are afraid of our power to heal the hell that we create in this world? What if we're afraid of the power within us to heal the suffering? If we had that kind of power, does it truly frighten us? Maybe on a subconscious level. Maybe that's what's happening. I'm going to share a story with you. It's a true story. It's a story of the birth of two baby girls, twins. And they were born prematurely, seven weeks premature. And in the United States, there's a protocol, there's a practice. Practice is good, okay. There was a practice. I want to thank our translators in this room right here for helping us. Thank you so much. They're working very hard today, I can tell. There is a practice in the United States when babies are born prematurely. The first thing they do is separate the babies. Now, can you imagine living in the womb of your mother for six or seven or eight months? 
and living close to another being, your twin brother or your twin sister, and hearing the heartbeat of your mother every day and the heartbeat of your twin every day, and suddenly you're taken from that environment. And the first thing that happens is you're separated, and they put one twin, one premature baby in one incubator, and the second baby in a second incubator, under the hot lights of the intensive care unit in the hospital, they put them in separate rooms, lying on their stomachs face down. That's what they do with the new babies, the premature babies. So these two baby girls came into the world. This is what happened. They were separated, taken to different rooms, and immediately one of the little girls began to fail. Her vital signs began to drop. She was dying. There was a nurse who was working at the time, and the nurse said, I must do something or this baby will die. She said, I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to break the protocol. And she reached in, picked up the young baby that was dying. She took her into the intensive care unit with her sister. And you know where the story's going. You know what happened. She put the weaker girl in the incubator with the stronger girl. But this is where the story gets really interesting. And this is what tells me what I'm about to share with you is something that we are born with. It's not something that we learn. Because here is what happened. They put the weaker baby girl in with the stronger one. And immediately the stronger one reached out with her arm and placed her arm around the shoulders of her baby sister. And the minute she did that, the instant, the instant she did that, her sister's vital signs stabilized. And she got stronger and stronger and stronger and they both lived. Okay, can you feel that feeling? Can you feel that? See, I, I can see you're holding your heart. Some of you have tears in your eyes. Why? That feeling, that feeling is a language. That feeling is a power that lives inside of your body. If I had walked onto the stage and said, now, have that feeling, it may have been hard to do. But you saw an image that gave you a reason for that feeling. You're still crying. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful image. It's true. And the two girls lived. And they're doing very well today. That feeling is something that does not happen in your mind. It happens in your heart. The image and the story went directly to your heart. It bypassed your mind. It bypassed the filters. It bypassed the logic, the questions, the conditioning, the judgment. It was just a feeling. Today, modern science is beginning to understand that feeling that happens inside of our bodies has a direct effect on the stuff our world is made of, on the atoms and the molecules of our physical world. How many in this room like science? Do you like science? How many do not like science? <laughs> well, this is fun science. Because what I'd like to do today, the first part of this day, I'm going to share with you the science that is so new it is not yet in the textbooks, on the one hand. It's not in the textbooks yet. On the other hand, it is the science that you and I and our children will use to solve the problems that we're leaving in the world today. It's a very different way of thinking about things. So, for the next few moments, I would like to share with you the science. And I think you'll enjoy the science very much. Because it gives us a way to understand what we will see next. After we understand the science, I'd like to invite you into the monasteries of Tibet into the monasteries of Egypt and Peru. Because it's in those places that the wisdom is kept of the language of our hearts, the wisdom in their cultures that was lost in our cultures. So as we go through the day, I'm sharing the science, 
and then we will go into the ancient wisdom that describes the science in another language. And then we will see miraculous, miraculous video in here of that science applied to create healing inside the body of a living human. We will see a woman that has been diagnosed with cancer. And we can see inside of her body through ultrasound, through a sonogram. And we can watch this practice of human emotion, focused human emotion, heal that cancer in less than three minutes for one person. And then we'll see the same principle applied for peace in the Middle East during the Israeli-Lebanese War in the early 1980s, because it's the same principle. And then we'll have the opportunity in this room to learn the language that creates those miracles. Is that okay? Are you okay if we do that today? So, okay, good, good. Thank you. So the question, how much power, how much power do we really have to change our world, to change our lives, to change our bodies? How much power do you believe that we really have? The question that we're really asking is who are we? Who are we? And this is the great mystery and the controversy in the language of science. Are we simply observers, passive observers in this universe watching the world go by, or are we powerful creators? As our most cherished religious and spiritual traditions have always said, are we actually powerful creators that have forgotten how to use our power? Well, this is the great question that has been asked by scientists for 400 years. When I was in school in the 1970s, 1960s, I was taught that the universe began a long time ago, and that we have come along relatively recently, and that we are essentially powerless specks of dust in the universe. And after we are gone, the universe will never know that we were here. That's what I was taught when I was in school. Does that sound familiar to you? That's one way of thinking. There is another way of thinking that says something very different. It says the universe began a long time ago. We have come along relatively recently. However, we are powerful creators that are changing our world and changing the universe as we live our lives. And this is the controversy of the scientists. Albert Einstein believed the first idea. Albert Einstein said we live in a world which exists independently of us humans, which stands before us like a great eternal riddle, at least partially accessible to our inspection and thinking. It's very complex. What he's saying is Albert Einstein believes that we will be lucky if we understand even a little bit of how the universe works and that we are very insignificant. Okay. A colleague of Albert Einstein was alive during his time and is still alive today. His name is Professor John Wheeler, Princeton University physicist. He's still with us today. John Wheeler says completely the opposite. They studied in the same time. They had the same information, the same books, the same data, and they had very different opinions. Look at what John Wheeler says. John Wheeler says we could not even imagine a universe that did not contain us because, he says, it is the act of us observing the universe that makes the universe as it is. He said it is the act of us observing the world around us. He said that we're part of a universe that is not finished yet. John Wheeler says the universe is incomplete. He says that we are tiny specks, tiny patches of the universe looking at itself and building itself in what he calls a participatory universe. Participatory. I like that word. It means that we are not controlling the universe. We are not imposing our will upon the universe. We are participating, co-creating. Does that mean anything to you when you see this? Let me ask you a question. Let's explore this idea just a little bit. 
I know that you all lie awake in bed at night, sleepless, because you're wondering why we have never found the smallest particle of matter, right? Or you lie awake in bed at night, sleepless, because you wonder why we've never found the edge of the universe, right? <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> the truth is that we may never find the smallest particle of matter. And we may never find the edge of the universe. Scientists build huge machines, cyclotron, cyclotrons, particle accelerators. And they take a little particle of matter and they accelerate it to the speed of light, almost. And they smash it into another particle so they can break it into many pieces, thinking that somewhere in there they will find the ultimate smallest particle of matter. And they never find it. Do you know why? Because here's what happens. Every time they think they find the smallest particle, they look and there's something else there. Something else is there. The reason that we will probably never find the smallest particle and the reason that we will probably never find the edge of the universe is because of what John Wheeler says. He says the act of us searching, the act of the human heart and the human mind looking at the universe, expecting to see something will always create something for us to see. The act of us looking with the expectation that something is there is an act of creation unto itself. Does that make sense to you? This is important. This is important to you. Think about this. I invite you to think about this. If looking with the expectation that something exists is what creates that something, then what does it mean when you are conditioned to look at your body to search your body every day or every week looking for something to be wrong, looking for an abnormality, looking for a lump, looking for a discoloration. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not saying don't look. What I'm suggesting is it's your consciousness while you are looking that is important. What happens if you look at your body in the mirror every day and you say, ah, beautiful body. And that is an act of creation. Can you see how that is different than if you look for, in your body for a lump or something that should not be there? Does that make sense? Very, very powerful what John Wheeler is saying. This is a scientist saying that consciousness is creating our physical universe. The question is, if feeling and consciousness is creating, what is it that we feel? What do we believe about our world? The new discoveries suggests that the power to change our bodies and to change our world is based in what we call belief. Belief. Our belief of what is real. We live our lives based in what we believe about our world. Would you agree with that? We live our lives based in what we believe about, sure, about ourselves, our world, one another, our limitations, our capabilities. I was trained as a scientist. When I began to understand that we live our lives based upon our beliefs, my question is, where do those beliefs come from? And what I found is that those beliefs come from what other people tell us. The beliefs come from what history tells us, what science tells us, what religion tells us, what our culture, what our family, our friends tell us. That's where our beliefs come from. Would you agree with that? So let me ask a question. What if they're wrong? What if they're wrong? What if you and I are living our lives in the beliefs of other people who are incorrect? What does that mean for us? How powerful do you think a belief really is? How powerful, truly? There's an author. His name was Neville in the early 20th century. 
He wrote a book called The Power of Awareness, a beautiful book. And what Neville said was this. He said that our power of belief is a power, an infinite power against which no earthly force is of the slightest significance. Our power of belief is an infinite power against which no earthly force is of the slightest significance. Do you believe that you have a power within you against which no earthly force is of the slightest significance? Is that possible? Do you believe that? Let me show you some examples. Let me share some examples of miracles. You've all heard these stories before. You've heard stories of miracles. This is a story of a woman who lifted a car 20 times her body weight to free a person who was trapped underneath the car in an accident. You've heard stories like this. She freed this person. She went to the hospital with this person. She waited in the waiting room. The doctor came out and said, this man will live because you lifted the car and saved him. Alberta, Canada, this walk, she crossed this pit, 220 feet long. I don't know how many meters that is. Approximately. Okay, it's a big fire pit, big pit. Averaging 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit. She crossed this uninjured. This is a picture of Amanda walking through the coals. This is a picture of Amanda after the walk. And the question, she has no injuries. The question is why? Why no injuries? It's because of her beliefs. The woman lifted the car 20 times her body weight because of her beliefs. Amanda walked through the fire because of her beliefs. These are examples we see every day of a power within us. But they're rare examples. What if they become every day examples? Miracles of belief. We ask the question, who are we? What we know is that we're made of quantum energy. You all have heard that we are quantum energy, yes? Yes? Okay. For 70 years, scientists have been telling us that we are little particles of quantum energy. And now we believe them. But now scientists say those little quantum particles can do miraculous things, amazing things. But the scientists say those miracles have nothing to do with your life. For example, quantum particles we know can exist as a physical particle, like this. It's a quantum particle. That particle can exist invisible. The particle is still there. It has just changed its form. Quantum particles can exist in one place in a moment in time. Quantum particles can exist in two places or many places at the same time, and they are always connected. They are always connected with one another. So the particles are always connected. Quantum particles can communicate with themselves in the past and in the future. This is very interesting. Scientists can take a quantum particle and they know everything there is to know about this particle. They know its rotation, its plus, its minus, its charge in the present. Now, okay, they can take it into the future, future, and now this is the past, this is the future. Okay, you okay so far? All right, now. They can change the particle now, and it changes what it had to be in the past. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. 
The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause, and Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. To get to now. They can change the particle in the present, and it changes the particle in the past, even though the past already happened. Very interesting. So the question is, we're made of those particles. So can we do what these particles can do? We're made of quantum particles. Are they showing us our limits, or are they showing us our possibility, our potential? What do you think? Are those quantum particles that we're made of showing us limitations or possibilities? I think so. I think so. And I think you'll see why in just a moment. Can we do everything that those particles can do? The answer is yes. But it's based on what we believe to be true. Not what we think in our minds. What we believe in our hearts. And that is a very subtle, very powerful difference. Not the mind, the heart. We're made of those particles. We are held together through a focus, a force. This is a clue. What is the force that holds our quantum particles together as our bodies? What is the force that begins with the letter C that holds all of the particles of your body together? What is that force called? Anyone? No, it starts with a C. Okay, there it is. Consciousness. Consciousness. Very good. Some yes, some not so good. Consciousness is what holds these particles together. Consciousness organizes the particles into your body and into this world. 1944, the father of quantum theory, his name was Max Planck. Max Planck made this statement. He said, the stuff of our world does not exist the way we think it exists. Max Planck said, as a man who has devoted his whole life to the most clear-headed science, to the study of matter, I can tell you as a result of my research about the atoms this much. Okay? There is no matter as such. What he's saying is the stuff that we're made of does not exist the way we believe it exists. He goes on to say that what we think is matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force. He said there's a force out there that holds everything together in our bodies and in our world. He said, we must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious mind, an intelligent mind. He said, this mind is the matrix of all matter. This mind is the matrix of all matter. 
If you saw the movie, The Matrix, this is where the movie was based from. This information. The father of quantum theory, Max Planck, said that there is an energy, a field of energy that holds everything together, that this is not solid and we are not solid. Belief is the code that takes that field of energy, possibilities, and translates that field into the reality of this world. Belief is the code that translates possibilities into the reality of this world. Here's what scientists say to us about the way this world works. Scientists are telling us now that in this field, all possibilities already exist in the quantum energy, in the soup of quantum possibility. All possibilities already exist. In the quantum possibilities, you are already healed. Peace has already happened. Joy is already everywhere. All of the greatest suffering, all of the greatest peace already exists in the quantum possibilities. And here's what they say happens with you and me. That with our mind, we reach in to those possibilities. We imagine our healing. We imagine the peace. We imagine our perfect relationship. We imagine the abundance in our lives with our mind. And that's how we lock that possibility into place. And with our heart, we give that possibility life. We breathe life into the image of our mind through the feeling in our heart and make it real in our world. I'm going to share with you the science of how this happens. We have to understand what a belief is. We talk about belief. What is a belief? Belief is the marriage. It is a union of thought and emotion. Thought and emotion. And now we have to define thought and emotion. This is an image from an ancient Sanskrit text. It shows the energy centers of the body, the chakras. I know you all are familiar with chakras. They say that thought happens in the upper chakras, right here. This is thought. This is where we imagine the quantum possibility. The emotion happens in the creative center, in the lower chakras. This is emotion. And they say our emotions are only two. Love, fear. Love and the opposite of love. So when we think a thought in our mind, we fuel that thought. We give our thought life through the love or the fear that we place into the thought. And when we do that, we create a feeling. And now we have a definition for feeling. Feeling is the union, the marriage of emotion and thought. What we think of a possibility and our love or our fear of that thought. Does that make sense? Is that good? This is important because we're going to use this. Does this make sense? Okay. What is the one energy center in the body that does not have the circle? What is the one center that we have not talked about here? Precisely, the heart. Feeling happens in our heart. Feeling doesn't happen in the mind. Feeling doesn't happen in the lower, well, a little bit, but not much in the lower centers. Feeling happens in our heart. Feeling and belief are connected. Feeling and belief. So in our hearts, we have hate, sadness, joy, compassion. These are feelings. These are not emotions. To have hate, sadness, joy, compassion, we must have a thought. And then the love or the fear for that thought that creates these feelings. So now we have a definition of feeling. Feeling is the union of thought and emotion. You're going to see this in a 2,000-year-old text this afternoon. Exactly the same thing. So our belief translates the quantum possibilities that we imagine into the physical reality of our world. And I want to show you how. I want to show you how that happens. 
I don't want you just to, to believe me, to take my word. I want to show you the proof so your mind can see the proof. Belief is what translates those possibilities into the atoms of our world. The quantum possibility exists as waves only. But this world is made of atoms. So I think you're going to like what you're going to see. Do you remember a long time ago, when I was in school, and maybe when you were in school, we were told that the atom looks like this. Looks like a little solar system. Long time ago, remember? And we were taught that the atom is made of things. A thing in the center, and things that orbit, things that circulate. Okay? That's not what scientists believe today. Now the atom, they believe, looks like this. It looks like energy. The atom no longer looks like things. It looks like waves of energy rather than particles of things. Now this is very important. You're going to see why. I think you will like what you're going to see in just a moment. So just work with me. So the quantum atom is made of waves of energy rather than particles of things. And this is very important. This is very important. If you want to change an atom, you have to change the energy that the atom lives in. If you want to change the stuff, the physical stuff of our world, you must change the energy that that stuff exists within. Is that okay? Is that good? Does that make sense to you? You okay with that? Okay. We're going slowly because something big is about to happen here. Einstein said this very well. Einstein actually said the field that connects everything together is what he called the governing agency of the particle. Einstein said the field is what determines how the atom behaves. It's in the field. The sole governing agency is what Albert Einstein said. So the field that we're talking about, the field is made of electrical energy. It's made of magnetic energy. Two energies. The field that holds everything together. This is out of a, a traditional text, a traditional physics text. Look at what this says. This says if you change the electric field, that you will change the way the atom behaves. And there's actually a name for this. It is called the Stark effect. So if you change the electrical field, the Stark effect, you change the atom. Or if you change the magnetic field, it's called the Zeeman effect, you change the atom. So all this is saying is that science knows today, if you change the electrical field or you change the magnetic field, you change the atom. Okay, that's good? Okay, watch what happens. What organ in your body produces the strongest electrical field in your body? Guess. Okay, see, I, I told you you would like this. <laughs> okay, our world is made of electrical and magnetic energy. The atom. And the science says, if you change the electrical field or you change the magnetic field, you change that atom. Okay, there is one organ in your body that produces the strongest electrical field and the strongest magnetic field in your body. Here's a clue. I'll give you a clue. Right there. Your heart. And it's where you have the feeling. The feeling that you had when you saw the baby, the baby girls. That feeling that we call a feeling is actually creating waves of electrical and magnetic energy in your heart that changes your body and changes your world, but you don't have to know that because you simply have a feeling. And this is what the ancients understood and what they left in their temples, in their texts, in the monasteries, in the language of their time. They understood this. Our heart, look at this. The human heart produces the strongest electrical and magnetic fields in the body. 
Some people said the brain. The brain does produce these fields, but look. The heart's electrical field is 100 times stronger than the brain. 100 times stronger than the brain. The heart's magnetic field is up to 5,000 times stronger than the brain's magnetic field. And the references, the technical references, I won't read them here. They're on the website, my website, if you would like the technical references. But you see what's happening here. Our heart produces the fields that change our world and change our body. Can you see that so far? Beliefs create the electrical waves. Beliefs change those magnetic waves. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about me, what you believe about your world, about your relationship to God, about peace on this earth is creating what is happening on this earth right now. Beliefs change our physical world. Beliefs change matter. Now, I have to stop and ask the question, does this make sense so far? Make sense in the back of the room? It's good? Okay. I'm going to come visit you later this afternoon. (laughs) Good. It's good. (laughs) Okay, if this makes sense, now we can move on. 1968. Jerry Garcia concert. (laughs) Ah, don't don't look too long. These are waves of energy. Quantum possibilities, scientists tell us, exist as waves of energy. The waves are contracting and expanding. They're coming and they're going. These are the possibilities of your life. Your perfect relationship is coming and it's going. Your abundance, your perfect job, it's coming and it's going. Because the waves are always in motion. Okay, let me ask you a question. What would happen if the wave was not coming and was not going, if it was in one place, what would we call that wave? If it's not coming and it's not going. Let's see what this would look like. Okay. Can you see this wave? It is pulsing, but it's not coming and it's not going. Can you see that? This is called a standing wave. A standing wave. It's not coming and it's not going. The possibilities, the quantum possibilities of your life are these waves that are coming and going. The standing wave is the reality. Okay? The quantum possibilities, the soup of all possibilities, coming and going. But the reality of this world is a wave that is standing wave. It is not coming, and it's not going. This is what atoms look like. Atoms are the waves that are stationary. Quantum possibilities are the waves that are coming and going. Okay, does that make sense so far? Okay, because if it does, you're going to like what happens next. And then it won't be so technical. Okay, this makes sense. Let me ask, our beliefs in our hearts... Produce the standing wave. Your heart produces the wave that locks the possibilities into place. Your heart is what produces the waves that make atoms. It's what you believe in your heart is what locks the quantum possibility into the reality of this moment. Heart waves are standing waves. This is important. We're going to work with our hearts this afternoon. I'm going to share with you an experiment. How many have heard of the very famous double slit experiment performed in 1909? 1909. A couple. A couple. 
This is the experiment that began the ideas of quantum physics. It's a very important experiment. Look at what happened. Scientists in 1909 took a particle of matter called a photon. Photon. It's P-H-O-T-O-N. They have this photon right here. And they take this photon and they wanted to shoot the photon at this target. Before it could reach this target, it passes through one opening, through this barrier. Okay? So easy experiment. They take the particle, passes through the barrier, goes to the target. The particle acts like a particle. Everyone is happy. It's a good experiment. This is good. Okay? Then they tried the experiment again and changed one thing. They're using the same kind of particle, the same target. This time, the barrier has two openings. Now, they believe that the particle can only be in one place at one time. And they were not prepared for what happens in this experiment. Should we do this experiment? You want to see? Okay, watch what happens. This is, this is a photon, a particle of light. It's the stuff our world and our bodies are made of. So they are experimenting. The scientists are asking the question, why did this happen? They're saying the particle began as a particle. It began as matter. But look, it behaves like a wave. It behaves like energy. And they're asking why. Why does the particle change? They ask this question. They said, who knows that there are two openings possible for that particle? The scientists in the room know. The particle knows. But the particle can't know anything. And the scientists, they say, well, we know, but that cannot possibly have an effect on reality, can it? So here's the question. Who knows that there are two openings available? The scientists and the particles. And this is the answer to our question here. Because what the scientists discovered is that their knowledge, the scientists' consciousness, was affecting the particle in the experiment. The fact that the scientists knew that there were different openings affected the way the particle works. Does that make sense? Are you okay with that? Here's why that's important. It's because they are showing, they are showing that their consciousness is affecting our physical world, and they were showing it in 1909. The observer, the observer changed the particles of our world. The observer changed the particles. John Wheeler, Princeton University, made this statement. He said, we had this old idea that there is a universe out there, and that here is man, the observer, safely protected from the universe by a six-inch slab of plate glass, as he calls it. This is John Wheeler saying this. He says, now, however, we learn that to even observe an electron we have to shatter that plate glass, I'm sorry. We have to shatter the plate glass. So the old word observer simply has to be crossed off the books. There are no observers. The scientists in the room affected the particles. There are no observers. You are not an observer in the universe. By being in this world, you are having an effect on this world all the time. John Wheeler says we must cross the word observer off the books and put in the new word participator. Participator. We are all participating in what is happening. This is John Wheeler. Now, that was in 1909. This experiment was repeated again in 1998 in Israel. The Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel. Look at what happened. They repeated the experiment. They got the same results. They got the same results, but look at this. They found something even more interesting. They found the experiment revealed that the more the observers watched the particles, the greater the effect. The scientists in 1998 discovered that the more we watch our physical world, 
the greater the effect we're having on our world just by being present in the world. Well, Einstein said that this is the stuff that made him crazy. Einstein did not like this idea. Einstein did not like the idea that we affect our world. He said, this is what he called spooky science, was the word he used. Einstein called it spooky science. He said, I like to think that a particle must have a separate reality independent of the measurements. In other words, Einstein said, I like to think the moon is there even if I'm not looking at it. Einstein is saying he likes to believe that we are not affecting the universe so much. This is the big problem that he had in physics. The Buddhist traditions tell us the same thing. In the Mahayana Buddhist tradition, this is a quote from the text, it says the same thing. That reality exists only where the mind creates a focus. Reality exists only where the mind creates the focus. Well, this is interesting. Because if our reality exists only where our mind creates a focus, the question is, what are we focused on today? So let me ask you, since 9-11 happened, September 11th, 2001, what has been the focus of so much of the world? One word, what is that word? Fear. Fear. The point is this, that through our media, we are being conditioned to fear. We're given many things to be afraid of. The environment is changing. New viruses, new diseases are happening. They say there are many bad people in the world. That the weather patterns are changing and that very bad things can happen in our world. If our focus is what creates the world around us, and this is where our focus is, what kind of world are we creating? But we can change this. You can change it very, very quickly. Right now, the ancient traditions say that you and I are living an important moment in history where we are choosing either war or peace for our future. And this is why a day like this is so important. Because we're learning the language of our heart to make that choice. The language of our heart to make that choice. So we ask the question, who are we? We are reality makers. We are all reality makers. But the key is that we can make only what we believe in our hearts. We can make only what we believe. So all of this is leading to new science and a new spirituality that's coming together based on our beliefs. And it's happening right now. It's a very exciting time in the world of science. So the question, if the world is based in our beliefs, if the world is based in our beliefs, then the question is, what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about your world? What I'd like to do is share with you three experiments that give you a reason to change your beliefs about who you are. Three experiments, scientific experiments that tell us, that tell us beyond any doubt that our inner experience of belief changes our outer world. And I'll do them very quickly. These are three very fast experiments. First experiment, number one, was performed in Geneva, Switzerland, University of Geneva, July 25th, 1997. It was reported to over 3,400 journalists, educators, scientists, engineers in more than 40 countries. Very, very famous experiment. What did they do? If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com code program. Particle of light, a photon, one photon. And they wanted two identical photons. So they took one particle and cut it into two. So now you have photon one, photon two. They put them into a special machine that could take the photons and separate them by 14 miles. Seven miles in one direction, seven miles in the other direction. And once they were separate, they could begin the experiments. So here are the two photons. We're going to to shoot them 14 miles apart. Here they go. Boom. Okay, now this particle is 14 miles from this particle. And what they found is this. Whatever they do to one particle here, the other particle acts like it is still connected, even though it's 14 miles apart. The particle acts like it's still connected, even though it's 14 miles apart. And the question that they're asking is why? If you take two particles and you separate them, why do they act like they are still connected? This is important for you and for me. Because the phenomenon is called entanglement. It's called entanglement. So that is the first experiment. The experiment, and all all I'm asking that you remember from this experiment is simply this. Once particles are physically separated, even though they are no longer together physically, the energy is still connected. Does that make sense? Are you okay with that? Okay, here's why this is important. This is why this is a very important experiment. Because scientists tell us, if we could go back in time to the beginning of our entire universe, there was a time when everything was connected. The universe today is many light years in diameter. But if you could take every one of those little particles of matter in the entire universe and bring them all back together, there's a time when everything was connected. These arrows, this is from the Hubble Space Telescope. It's believed to be the very center of the universe. The time that scientists call the Big Bang, when everything began. If we could go back to that time, If we could go back to the Big Bang, what would the universe look like a long, long time ago, far, far away? What would the universe look like? Here, we'll see that again. A long time ago, far away. (laughs) What would the universe look like? Right, and someone is saying it looks like a little ball. Right here. Can you see this right here? (laughs) If you could go a long time ago, scientists tell us that the universe, the entire universe, if you could bring all of the matter together and take all the empty space out, that the entire universe would be about the size of a single green pea and everything is connected. Now the scientists tell us, the scientists tell us that at this time everything was very compressed and that the universe, the temperature, was about 18 billion, million, million, million degrees Fahrenheit. And I said, come on scientists, how do you know that for sure? And they said, okay, we don't know that for sure, but it was hot. It was really, really hot. So we know a long time ago the universe was hot. And then it began to expand. It began to expand and continues to expand today. Here's the point. The point is the experiment showed that once a particle is physically connected and then physically separated, the energy is still connected. That was the experiment. Scientists are now telling us the universe was once physically connected and is now separate, but energy is still connected. And that is the reason why you and me and everything is still connected. Does that make sense to you? Does that help to make sense? It makes sense to me. As a scientist, I need to understand this. The instant everything was connected, this is called the Big Bang Singularity, is the term for this. 
So the question is, are we still connected? The answer is, you bet we are. We are very, very connected. That was the first experiment. See, that was an easy experiment, right? Let's do another one. Second experiment. This is performed by Russian scientist Vladimir Poponyan. Poponyan. 1992. Vladimir Poponyan took a glass tube. He removed all of the air from inside the tube, creating what we call a vacuum. Implying that the tube is empty. But it's not empty. We know there is something in that tube, and you are now experts at what is in the tube, because what is in the tube are photons, little particles of light. Photons are in that tube. And the scientists measured them to see where the photons are. Are they sticking to the sides? Are they piled up on the bottom? Where are the photons? Here's what they found, the first part of this experiment. They found when they measured them that they were completely random. That the photons were everywhere, random. No surprise. Everything is good. Sorry. Okay, this is the first part of the experiment. Everybody is happy so far. Science is good so far. Now, look at what they did. They took some human DNA. And they put human DNA into the photons. And they asked this question. This is a powerful question, my friends. They asked the question, what effect does human DNA have on the photons? But what they're really asking is what effect does the stuff that your body is made of have on the stuff this world is made of? That is a powerful question. Does that make sense? Did that translate okay? They're asking what effect does the stuff of a human body, what effect do we have on our physical world? In conventional science, there is nothing, nothing that allows for the effect. In conventional science, we were taught to believe that there is no effect. But that's not what these experiments show. Watch this. They put human DNA in with the photons. And the photons aligned themselves with the DNA. The photons were physically changed in their arrangement. The photons moved in the presence of the DNA. The stuff our world is made of changed in the presence of the stuff our bodies are made of. This is a powerful experiment. It's the first time it's been shown in the laboratory that your body is changing your world. Then... They said, what happens if we take the DNA out? What happens to the photons? Well, what happened, they were not prepared for. Because when they took the photons out, sorry, when they took the DNA out, the photons acted like the DNA was still there. As if they were still connected. As if they were still connected. The question is why? There's nothing that explains this in traditional science. But in the new science, there is. This is called the DNA phantom effect. If you would like to Google this on your computer, you can research this for yourself. And all of these references are on my website, so you don't have to write the reference down. Experiment number two, all that I'm showing is that DNA affects our physical world. The stuff that you're made of affects your physical world. One more quick experiment, and we're going to take a bathroom break. We started late. Okay. Experiment number three. This is a paper released in 1993 by an organization called the Institute of Heart Math, H-E-A-R-T-M-A-T-H, Heart Math. We'll talk about them later today. But what they showed is this. Heart Math showed around every human heart there is a field of energy that we can measure. It looks like this. It's between 5 feet and 8 feet in diameter. How, how much in meters? How many meters is that? You know, 5 to 8, approximately? How much? Divide by 3. So uh, two and a half to... Uh, uh, eight, three, two, four, two and a half to three, three and a half meters. 
okay, two and a half to three and a half meters approximately around every human heart. This field is there. And I asked the scientists the question. I said, if this field is there around every human heart and it's so powerful, why would that field stop at only two to three meters? And they said, ah, that is the limitation of our equipment. They said, in nature, the field around the human heart extends many, many miles from where your heart actually exists. So there are approximately 1,000 people in this room. If you are within two to three meters of another person, and you are, there are 1,000 hearts, but one field. One heart field. And that field is so real that we will measure it and use it after lunch. We can actually measure the field and we'll use it after lunch. And as you change the way that you feel in your heart, you will see the field in this room change on the screen. So that's what we'll do this afternoon. Okay, so they know this field is here. The question that they asked was, what effect does our heart have on the DNA of our bodies? You all have seen DNA as a double helix. What scientists have found is that some emotions will relax the helix, some emotions will contract that helix, tighten. When the DNA is relaxed, you are healthy. You have a strong immune system. Your DHEA levels are high. And when the DNA is tight, your immune system suffers. Your DHEA levels are low. So here's the experiment. They're asking the question, what happens if we change the way we feel in our hearts? What effect does it have on the DNA? Here's the experiment. What they found was in the presence of positive emotions, gratitude, appreciation, love, compassion, all the things that you would expect as positive emotions, look at the DNA, it relaxed in a positive, life-affirming way. In the presence of anger, jealousy, hate, rage, frustration, the DNA was tight like a little top. And all that the people did was have a feeling. They had a feeling and they changed the DNA in their body. This is the actual research report. Look at the words. It says, individuals trained in feelings of deep love and appreciation were able to intentionally change the shape of their DNA. And all they did was have a feeling, and by having the right feeling, the right belief in their heart, they changed the DNA in their body. They changed their immune system. They changed their hormone levels of DHEA. They changed their lives. The study goes on to say this. It says that human emotion produces effects which defy conventional laws, defy conventional laws of physics and their relationship to space and time. What does that mean? Very simply, it means that you and I can create a feeling in our bodies. And when we have that feeling, we are no longer limited by the laws of physics as we know those laws today. Maybe some laws, but not those laws. We are no longer limited by the laws of biology as we know those laws today. And all we do is create a feeling in our bodies. That's all we do. That's how powerful you are. Okay, this is where I wanted to be before we take our bathroom break. Here is the bottom line to these discoveries. Number one, it says that emotion changes the DNA in our bodies. You saw that, right? Emotion changed the DNA. The DNA changes the matter of the world. The DNA changes the photons, the stuff our world is made of. If you take out the middle section... What we're now saying is that emotion changes matter. And you saw the experiments that prove that to your mind. 
When the heart has feelings of gratitude and appreciation, it changes the DNA, and the DNA is changing the stuff of our world. And when the heart is having anger, hate, jealousy, rage, it changes the DNA in another way, and it affects our world. These are the experiments that show us what the ancient traditions always said, and that is that you have a power inside of your body that affects the world beyond your body. Now, I wanted to do the technical things early in the day, first thing in the morning. We're going to talk about this a little bit more after the break, Then we're going to go into the monasteries in Tibet, in Egypt, and look at the ancient texts, and we'll see how this internal technology is applied in the real world. Okay, so, well, thank you. Thank you. So, grazie, grazie. Come on, Then? Okay. Grazie. We have uh, uh, a, a correction, a modification in one word translation that I would like to, to share with you. This is important. Making a distinction between waves that are moving and waves that are in one place, not moving. The translation came as a static, statica wave. The correction is onda stationaria. Onda stationaria, stationary. It's okay? Is that good? It's important. Muy importante. Okay, so the first couple of hours, I wanted to share with you the science. And I know that it's a little technical in places, and I appreciate your patience with my slides and with my explanation. But does it help to understand? Can you see how a feeling in your heart has an effect on the world beyond your heart? Can you begin to see that? Does that make sense? So what is happening? When we have a feeling in our hearts, we're creating... We're creating electrical and magnetic waves inside of our bodies that extend beyond our bodies into the world around us. And what's so interesting is the research shows that those waves extend not just one meter or two meters, many, many kilometers beyond where our heart physically resides. So right now in this room, this room is having an effect on Italy beyond this building, beyond these walls. And you'll see this afternoon when many, many people get together with one feeling, many hearts come together and create one feeling, it can change the world, and you'll see just how much. But it's only a miracle until we understand the science. Then it's no longer a miracle, it becomes a technology, a powerful internal technology. So the film, this film was created in a medicineless hospital in Beijing, China. Medicineless hospital, no medicine hospital. I like that hospital. This film shows a woman who has been diagnosed with a cancer in her bladder, a three inch diameter cancer in her bladder. And Western doctors say they can do nothing. They say, we can't help you. So she has gone to a clinic in China where they think differently and they apply the technology from the ancient wisdom that is the same as the science that we just saw. So what you will see is this. There are three practitioners, three people trained to feel just the right feeling, the precise, correct feeling in their hearts. They create the feeling 
as if the woman is already healed. They create the feeling as if the woman is already healed. Now we will look inside of her body through a sonogram, through ultrasound. We can look into her body and we can watch her cancer disappear in three minutes in the presence of the language that heals. Does that make sense? Are you okay with that? Does that make sense? Would you like to see that? Okay, good. So what you will see is the woman is awake. She is conscious. She has no anesthetic. She believes in the process. She believes in what is happening. And there are three practitioners who are trained to create the feeling in their bodies as if the woman is already healed. And then on the computer screen, we will see two images. One image is before the healing, and one image is actual time, real time, so we can see the healing happen. And while the healing is happening, you will hear the practitioners chant a word. And I want you to know there is no magic in the word. It could be any word. But this word is the word that they have chosen that reinforces for them, that tells them the feeling. So they agreed that this is the word that would create the feeling for them. But it could be any word. I just I want you to know that. So I'm explaining this now, and we'll explain it again as we go through the film. Over eight years, the center has successfully treated more than 180 types of illnesses including bladder cancer. of her bladder. This is the tumor. And now they take a snapshot for reference. A snapshot now. Okay, this is the real time. So this is now reference. This is actual time. Okay. This is two minutes 40 seconds, 2 minutes 40 seconds. This on the left hand side is the reference tumor. 
On the right-hand side, the tumor is gone. In the Western way of thinking, modern science says this is a miracle. Because they do not understand the field that connects everything. And they do not understand the language that speaks to that field. But once we understand, that is no longer a miracle, that is a technology. You listen to the chant. Okay, the word that they are using, loosely translated, means already happened. It's already done. In their mind and in their heart, they're coming from the place that the healing has already happened. Not that it's going to happen, and not that it's about to happen, or that it's a long, slow happening, that it has already happened. And this is important, because the field of energy that we are about to discuss is a mirror, a mirror, it reflects our feeling of what we are experiencing in the moment. So if our belief is that our healing is about to happen, or that our perfect relationship will come to us someday, or that our abundance in the bank will happen someday, the field will keep reflecting someday, 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 because it is open-ended. There is no outcome. There is no conclusion. This is a very subtle, very powerful understanding of how this field works. This field that we're about to discuss now, the divine matrix, is a field that mirrors now, not in the future, not in the past, this moment. So what we choose to experience in our lives, we must first feel in our hearts as if it has already happened. And this is something that happens all the time in this part of the world. It's not one time only. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The healing. They do this all the time. But when Western scientists see this, it makes no sense. Because Western science says that our beliefs and our feelings and our emotions have no effect on the world outside of our bodies. We know that that's not true. The experiments that we showed just before the break, the three experiments, what they showed is that human DNA has a direct effect on our physical world. One. Number two, they showed that human emotion changes the DNA that is changing our physical world. And it's happening because there's a field that connects everything together. 
The experiments suggest that Max Planck's matrix, this matrix, is the conduit. Now, the idea that everything is connected is a very old idea. Even in science, in the late 1800s, there was a belief that there was an invisible web of energy that connects everything in the 1800s. And scientists were very, uh, in a very heated debate, very controversial, as to whether or not this field exists. There was a very famous experiment that was conducted to determine if the field called the, the ether field actually existed. In the year 1887, the very famous Michelson-Morley experiment was designed to tell once and for all, is the field here or no? Yes or no? The field exists and does not exist. In my opinion, it was a good experiment. However, it was poorly interpreted. For over 100 years, our science has been based in a belief that is incorrect. It's incorrect. Now, this is very interesting. 100 years later, 1986, the United States Air Force repeated that experiment. 1986, the United States Air Force replicated the Michelson-Morley experiment. They published the results in the very prestigious journal Nature, the scientific journal Nature. What they found was this. They repeated the experiment with good equipment, much better equipment. The bottom line is that the field exists. They found that the field is actually there. This is reported in August 1986, the journal Nature, volume 322. They said, ah, the field is there. And not only is the field there, it measured precisely the way that Michelson and Morley had predicted 100 years earlier. They just didn't have the equipment to work this out. Now, why don't we know about this? This should have made the cover of every major magazine and newspaper. This should have been on CNN headline news or Sky News. But this changes everything for the scientists. Because the textbooks all say the field is not there. Entire careers are based on the field not being there. And now the field is there. And the scientists are saying, okay, the field is here. What do we do with it? What do we do with this field? Well, the field now is so new. Now that it has been rediscovered, everyone is giving it a different name. Many, many names for the same field. Some are calling it a very technical name. The quantum hologram. Quantum hologram. Okay? Some are simply calling it the field. Uh, a colleague of mine and a friend, former Apollo astronaut Edgar Mitchell, when he was in space, he had an awakening. When he was behind the dark side of the moon, completely cut off from all communications with the Earth. It was cold. It was dark. There was no communication with the Earth until their little tiny space capsule came around the dark side of the moon. And those astronauts could only hope that all of the engineers at NASA did a very good job on their spacecraft so that they could come around on the other side. And when they did, and Edgar Mitchell looked at our little tiny blue planet suspended in the blackness of space, something changed inside of him. He felt different about his life and his world. And he has now dedicated his life, since he has come back from those missions, he has dedicated his life to studying consciousness. And he founded an organization called the Institute of Noetic Sciences. N-O-E-T-I-C, Noetic Sciences. And part of the mission of the Institute of Noetic Sciences is to understand this field that connects everything, and they simply call it the field. Edgar Mitchell called it nature's mind. Stephen Hawking, the physicist, calls it the mind of God. Max Planck called it the matrix, and now we're calling it the divine matrix. All names for the same field. I wanted to share this with you. I want you to know this field is there, and it's real. And you're going to see just how real this field really is. 
scientists have visualized, because they could not see this field, they imagined that it would look like many filaments. Filaments? Is okay? Look like many filaments of energy. How do you say that in Italian? Filaments. Filamente. Grazie. Okay, filament. So they imagined it would look like many filaments of energy if we could see it. But scientists could not see it until recently. National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, built a satellite and launched it into deep space for the purpose of measuring fields that we cannot see with our eyes. It's called the Chandra, C-H-A-N-D-R-A, Observatory. Recently, the Chandra Observatory sent back information that has now been modeled on the computers, and it tells us that what we used to believe was empty space is not empty. There is no empty space. In 1999, the astrophysicist took the data from the Chandra Observatory and they ran it through the computer so that the computer could show them what is in the emptiness of space. Would you like to see what that image looks like? Do we have time? Oh, yes, of course we have time. That's why we're here. <laughs> okay, the next image is the image of the Chandra Observatory showing us what is in the emptiness of space. This is what it looks like. The bright spot that you see in the center, that is the center of our universe. And we are out here somewhere. These are the patterns of energy that cannot be seen by the naked eye, but that the sensors have picked up in deep space, showing that there are filaments of energy that connect everything. There is no empty space. Isn't this a beautiful image? It's a powerful image. I think it's the divine matrix. Okay. Now, this image right here, what do you think this is? Just take a guess, anyone. Guess what this image might be. And think small. I heard it precisely. I heard someone say it. These are the filaments of the energy in your brain. These are the neural networks of the human brain. It looks very similar to the filaments of the matrix in the universe. Look at this. These are the neurons in the human brain. Here are the filaments of the empty space from deep space. And it brings to mind, as above, so below. They're very, very similar. And the question now that scientists are asking is, do we communicate with these fields of energy through these fields of energy? And I think that's precisely what we're seeing. Precisely what we're saying. I think these are very powerful images. This is, to my knowledge, the first time we've been able to see the energy that is believed to be empty space. And we know that it is not empty. As above, so below. So this field of energy, the divine matrix, we know it does more than simply connect everything. It is the container for the entire universe. The divine matrix is the container that holds our entire universe, number one. Number two, it is a bridge between your inner world and your outer world. This is the reason why your thoughts, feelings, emotions, beliefs, prayers in here have an effect on the world beyond your body. And number three, it is a mirror. This field reflects in the world around us what we create in the world inside of us. And this is the reason I wanted you to see the healing of the cancerous tumor. Because you saw it with your own eyes. You saw the physical world change, but no one touched that tumor. There was no physical intervention. You saw that physical world change in response to a non-physical experience. The belief 
of the practitioners. So to unleash the power, to unleash the force of this divine matrix in our lives, first, we have to understand how it works. And we're doing that now. Secondly, we must learn to speak the language. We must learn to speak the emotions that this field uses. And that's what this day is all about. So I have a question. I'm going to go back to an experiment that we did before the break, a long time ago, before the break. Bless you, bless you. Where we had two particles of light, two photons, separated by 14 miles. From here to here, 14 miles. And the question is this. When one photon had an experience, the other one acted like it was having the same experience, even though they are no longer connected. For example, if this photon were forced to go on the red path, that photon would always take the red path. If this photon were forced on the blue path, that photon would always take the blue path. If this photon were forced to rotate in one direction, or its charge was changed, the other photon always had exactly the same experience. And the question is why? You now have almost all of the information to explain that. One last piece. The particles are said to be entangled. They are also said to be in a field that is holographic. Let me guess. Holo holographic. Holographico. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do this. <laughs> How many have heard of a hologram? How many know what a hologram is? How many know what one is? Okay, let, me give you, let me give you an example. This is a very, very powerful principle. The holographic principle is the way that nature creates tremendous change very, very quickly. A holographic principle is the way that nature creates change in large systems very, very quickly. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, there was a, a bookmark that was produced all over the world. A shiny little strip of foil that had a picture on the bookmark. And if you would hold the picture in the light, the image would come alive. It's called a hologram. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. There was a face of Jesus. Uh, there was a Mother Mary. There was a pyramid. There was a, uh, a flower unfolding. Did you see those a few years ago? 
Okay, those are called holograms. Now, you can do an experiment. If you have one of those bookmarks, you can do an experiment, but you can only do it one time because you will destroy your bookmark in the process. But here's what you can do. If you have one of those bookmarks, you can take a pair of scissors and you can cut your holographic bookmark into many, many pieces. And you can take the smallest piece, tiny, tiny piece, under a microscope with a very sharp blade and cut that piece in half one more time. And you can take that little fleck, that little speck of the bookmark, and under magnification you will look and the entire image will be in that piece. The entire image will be there because it is a hologram. A hologram. The definition of a hologram is that every fragment of the pattern reflects, mirrors, contains the entire pattern. Every fragment, no matter how small, is a reflection of the entire pattern. This is important because it's said that you and I are holographic in the universe, that within us, the entire universe lives within us, and within every cell of your body. The entire universe lives within every cell of your body. So here, here's an example. If this is the whole universe, right here, the entire universe, and we cut it in half, and now we take this and we cut it in half again, so now the universe is in four fragments. Because this is a hologram, every fragment contains the entire image. Does that make sense? Good with that? Does that make sense in the back? Yes. Okay. Because this is important. If that makes sense. Okay. If every fragment contains the entire image, no matter how small, then what happens when you make a change in one place of the pattern? What happens if we make a change in one place in the hologram? If every fragment mirrors all of the other fragments, if you make a change in one place, where do you see the change? Everywhere. Precisely. And this is how you and I may create change in this world very quickly. If we understand the language, because we are holographic, we are patterns of this world, of the universe. When we choose peace in our hearts with the language that this matrix recognizes, peace must happen. When we choose healing in our bodies, when we choose joy in our lives, when we choose compassion for our friends, when we make that choice with the language of the heart, not the mind, the heart, it must happen. Okay. So does this make sense so far? Okay, because I'm going to ask you a question, and it is a trick question. Let's go back to our experiment. What the scientists found is when they disturbed one photon here, this photon acted like it had the experience. So the question is this. How did the information from this photon get to this photon so quickly? Sometimes, sometimes this photon even had the experience before this one began. And scientists say, how can that happen? The conventional wisdom is that somehow this photon, this particle of light, is transmitting information here like you would a radio wave or like you would uh, electricity. The problem is that the information is traveling too fast. It's traveling faster than the speed of light. And that can't happen according to the laws of physics. So the question is this. How did the information get from here to here? And that is a trick question. What is the answer? And you must answer before we go to lunch. 
It's a trick question. Okay, how, how did the information get from there to there? Or did it? And the answer is, the information did not have to travel. Yes, the information doesn't travel from there to there. It's already there. The information is already there because it's part of the hologram. Remember, in the hologram, what happens in one place happens everywhere. The information is already there. So that is why when this photon has an experience, this one looks like it's having the same experience. They are still connected in the hologram. This is important for you and for me. This is why. This is why your prayers are so important. This is why you can send your prayer to a loved one in the battlefield of Iraq or in Africa or in America, halfway around the world or next door in another room. This is why you can send your prayers and they are so powerful because the prayer is already there. You create the prayer in your heart and the prayer is already there. You create the feeling just like those three practitioners in the medicineless hospital. They created the feeling as if the woman was already healed in their heart. They felt the feeling of gratitude and appreciation for the healing that has already happened. They didn't have to travel anywhere. It was already there. The healing had already happened in their hearts, and the physical reality mirrored that healing. Does that make sense? Are you okay with that? It's a very powerful concept. Very powerful. What it means is that very few people can create a lot of change in this world very quickly if those people understand the language that the field recognizes. And that's why we're here today. That's why we're here today. How do you feel about that? You okay with that? Make sense? Good. Good. Okay. This is a hologram. This is a hologram. Our bodies are holographic. Our universe is holographic. In the holograph, there is no here and there. It's already everywhere. Everything is happening everywhere at once. Ancient traditions describe this experience in what is called the great spiritual mystery. The mystery looks like this. I'd like to share the mystery with you in the ancient words, and then we'll look at the mystery in the language of science. And you'll see this precisely the same thing. The ancient tradition said something that you and I do in our lives triggers a process inside of our bodies. And that process interacts with the forces of creation and affects our physical world. So the, the great spiritual mystery says that something that we do in our lives affects our physical world. If we do not understand this mystery, when we see it happen, we say it's a miracle. If we do understand, no miracle. Now, it's technology. Technologic. Oh. <laughs> Technologic. Oh. No? Ah, that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> By the end of today, you will understand the divine matrix. I will understand Italian. And it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so this is the great spiritual mystery. Now look at what the science from the experiments, they say the same thing in different words. Look at this. They say that heart-based feeling and emotion changes the DNA in our bodies. When the DNA changes, it produces quantum effects that change our physical world. And we have said precisely the same thing. Just different words. Same thing. Spiritual tradition says something that we do in our bodies changes our physical world. The science is saying heart-based feeling and emotion. I'm going to introduce a word. The word is coherent emotion. Coherent emotion. We'll work with this after lunch. After lunch, you and I 
we'll discover how we create coherent emotions in our hearts to heal our bodies and to change our world. Coherent emotion changes our physical world, and this is how John Wheeler, Princeton physicist, says we are participating in the world. And I like this word a lot. This is important. Because there's a responsibility that comes with understanding the language of the divine matrix. It's not that we control our world. It's not that we manipulate our world. It's not that we impose our will upon the world. We participate. We share in the unfolding of our reality. And it's all done through the power of our beliefs. Through the power of our beliefs. I'd like to uh, shift gears just for a moment. Just change, just for a moment. I want to share with you a project uh, that was conducted at Princeton University in the United States. It was a project designed to find out how real this field of consciousness really is. And I think the results amazed even the scientists who were working on the project. You may have heard of this, or maybe not. It was called the Global Consciousness Project, GCP. Has anyone heard of the Global Consciousness Project? Okay, this is amazing. Let me share with you what happened. The scientists at Princeton University discovered that certain kinds of electronics actually change the way they work in the presence of human consciousness and the changes in consciousness. So in other words, the electronics were, were able to measure the consciousness. Based on these discoveries, Princeton University built 40 little devices and they planted them all over the earth on every continent that could measure human consciousness and send the measurements to one computer at Princeton University so that the scientists could see the changes in human consciousness all over the earth in any moment in time. For example, here's what they did. They had 40 little devices. They placed these all over the earth. And they all are sending information to one computer, Princeton University. And on that computer, when any moment of the day, they can measure the changes in the consciousness of the earth. And here's what they discovered. On September 11th, 2001, this equipment was in place. And you can imagine what it showed. That the consciousness of the people of the earth registered a tremendous, tremendous spike on the scale. But there's something even more interesting that happened, and it's why I'm sharing this with you today. Because what they found is this. Although the small devices did measure a change on September 11th, only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Changes actually began a full day before September 11th ever happened. 
something began to happen in human consciousness and that there were signals in our consciousness. We knew something was about to happen. Maybe not consciously, but we knew it. So let me show you the chart. Here's what happened. It says that they detected this, this change hours, almost 24 hours before 9-11 ever happened in New York and Washington. Here's a chart. So here are the dates, September 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, September 11th, 12th, and 13th. Okay, so those are the dates on the X scale. The vertical scale is showing something that's a little complicated, uh, and I'm going to do my best to explain this. On an average day, when we are just going about our business, going to the mall, going to work, on the freeway, uh, with our families, in a conference, on an average day like this, everyone is in their own conscious space. So consciousness is just kind of humming along. However, when something big happens in the world, like the death of Princess Diana, or the marriage of a queen, or the election of a president, or September 11th, or the national uh, soccer tournament playoffs, congratulations <laughs> for the soccer. It's, it's not all bad things. It's just when human consciousness is focused on one event, it will show up on the Princeton University computer. Okay, so does that make sense? You kind of okay with that? So here's, here's what happened. Here's the chart. September 7th, September 8th, everybody is going about life, daily life, everything is good. Look at this. September 10th, something began to change. September 11th has not happened yet. But in the consciousness field, something was already happening. September 10th. Okay, September 11th. Spike all the way up to the top, September 12th. The 13th. But here's what's important. To me, what's important is that we were able to detect a shift in the consciousness field before September 11th ever even happened. And that's the reason that I'm sharing this with you today. This field, consciousness, is part of our divine matrix. And it's so real that we can actually measure things like this. So now scientists are asking the question, is it possible? Is it possible that we can use this technology to help predict when something big is going to happen on the planet. So in other words, if the scientists at Princeton University, if they're looking at their computer, and they begin to see something like this happening, and there is no soccer tournament playoff, and there is no marriage of the queen, and there is no death of Princess Diana, then they say something is about to happen. Something is about to happen. And this is, this is one application I'm sharing with you. The divine matrix and the consciousness field is so real that they're actually using it in this way. So does this, are you okay with this? Does it, does it make sense what we're doing here? So, if we're going to use this force in our lives, first we have to understand how it works. So let me ask you a question. Do you sort of feel, do you kind of feel like you understand how this field works? That the field is holographic? It is entangled? That it looks like filaments? You know, it's interesting because the ancient traditions of the aboriginal peoples and the Native American peoples, they didn't have the technology that we have today, but they knew the field was there. And they described it as a web of energy or a net of energy because they could see it in their mind. It was only when our equipment was able to detect it that we knew that that's what, what this field actually looks like. In the Native American traditions, for example, the Hopi Indians, they say that in the very beginning at the Big Bang, the way they describe this is the emergence of this world. They say the first thing that happened in this world is that spider grandmother, spider the insect, spider grandmother emerged into this world. And the first thing that spider grandmother did was to weave the web that would connect all of her children in the future. 
And that's the language of the Hopi Indians. In the Buddhist traditions, there's a story in the very beginning of the great god Indra, I-N-D-R-A. In the beginning, Indra, in a distance, distant galaxy far away, began to weave the web that the Buddhists call today the great web of Indra that holds the universe together. So the words and the analogy, it's very interesting how similar they are thousands of years ago. How did they know? But we are only now beginning to understand in the language of science. This is why, to me, it makes sense to go beyond science into the wisdom of our past. Because science is a language. It's a good language, but science is only one language that describes our world and our universe. And there are places where science has not yet understood how everything works. So there are other languages that describe our universe as well. So what happens? What happens if we go into our ancient past and if we marry the language of our past with the language of science, if we marry the wisdom of our past with the wisdom of today, doesn't it make sense to do that, to understand who we are and how we work in this universe? And that's why it makes sense to go into the ancient monasteries and into the ancient texts. So if we're going to use the divine matrix, we must first understand how it works. Secondly, we've got to speak the language, to speak the language that it recognizes. So people ask me this question all the time. They say, if this field is actually there, the question is, if the field is there, if the field is really there, and if the indigenous people know it, and if the ancient people know it, why don't we know it? What happened to our knowledge? This is a very good question. And the answer is this. In our Western tradition, and I'm, when I say Western, I'm assuming that we are of the Judeo-Christian tradition, is what I'm, I'm talking about here. There was a time when this field and the language of emotion was part of our tradition. It was in our texts. Until the 4th century, the year 325 AD. In the year 325, something happened. Our texts were edited and we lost tremendous amounts of information. The Emperor Constantine, in the early Christian church, with the early Christian Bible, had to make decisions. What information do we include? What information do we exclude? And what we know now is that at least, at least 45 books were either completely taken away or tremendously edited into what we call today our Western biblical tradition. And when those edits were made, we lost the information that tells us everything is connected. We lost the information that tells us the language that speaks to this field. We know the information was lost because we are now recovering the information in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the Nag Hammadi Library, in the Coptic texts. This is how we know this information was lost. There are many places in this program where the entire day could be one topic, and this is one of those places. Because we could do a, an entire workshop on the information that was lost. And we won't today. But I wanted you to see an example of the books that were taken out of our text. This is some of the examples of the books. How many have heard of the missing years of Jesus? Have you ever heard of the missing years of Jesus? See the back? The 18 missing years? Why are they missing? Why are they missing? In these books, there is not only a book, The Infancy of Jesus, there is The Infancy of Jesus, book one. The Infancy of Jesus, book two, that tells about his childhood. It tells about his learning of the power in his body to heal and to change his world. Why don't we see more women in the Bible? Ladies, have you wondered why there are not more women 
who have written in the Bible. Do you wonder that? We know that women lived a long time ago. Women were there. <laughs> That's a promise, I guarantee. One of the reasons is because when the women would write, the male-dominated church would take those books out. There's a very powerful book that was written by a Gnostic woman. And even the title of the book is so powerful. Listen to the title. The title of the book is called Thunder Perfect Mind. Thunder Perfect Mind. Isn't that a powerful title? It was written by a Gnostic woman. And she asked the question. In her writings, she said, within me is a reflection of all possibilities. She said, I am the rich one. I am the poor one. She said, I am a virgin. And I am a whore. She said, I am the son of your mother and the daughter of your father. And I am all possibilities that you can ever imagine. I represent everything that lives within you. Why do you fear me? Why do you stone me to death at your city gates? What a powerful text. And I can see when the church fathers went down the checklist to say, what books do we keep? What books do we toss? Thunder perfect mind? They said, it's gone. Because it was such a powerful book. But these are some examples of the books that were completely edited. They were taken out. These are the books... Oops. These are the books that were condensed. They were left in the text, but they were condensed and edited tremendously. Just to give you some example. Have you ever, have you ever read the Bible and felt like it was incomplete? Have you ever read the book of Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of man, and man became a living being. We were created in one sentence in the Bible. Where's the rest of the information? How were we created? When you go to any other spiritual tradition, there is paragraph after paragraph, column after column, page after page, talking about the creation of your soul and my soul and your body and my body and how it happened and who is responsible. But in our Bible, we have one sentence, and everything else is gone. Because it was edited. What was taken out? There's not only book one. There is book one of Adam and Eve. Book two of Adam and Eve. That tell us the secrets of our origins. Of our creation. Of our heritage. So this is one of those places. We could spend all day on this. And we will not. But I wanted you to see. Information was lost. When our texts were edited. Information was lost. From our tradition. That was not lost from other traditions. And this is why it makes sense. This is why it makes sense to go to Tibet in the monasteries, to the mountains of Bolivia and Peru, Nepal, India, Italy, <laughs> the desert southwest, because there are records in those places that fill in the missing pieces, that complete the information. We found them in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the Nag Hammadi Library. There are the Gnostic texts, the Coptic texts, the Essene texts. Many of you have studied work that I did 15 years ago on the Essenes. That's when this picture was taken. <laughs> I look different now. A little. No? More hair. <laughs> so we know that the information was lost because it's being recovered. And this is what's important. Okay, I was trained as a scientist. And as a scientist, I was trained to look in the world around me for my answers. And as a scientist, what I know is this. If we're going to find information in other cultures that was lost in our culture, the best place to find that would be to go to some place that has been least disturbed by modern civilization. Tibet is a perfect place. 
It was in 1998 I had the opportunity for my first journey into Tibet. It is a land of tremendous extremes. Some places over 17,000 feet above sea level where nothing grows. And other places in the valleys where it is very beautiful and everything grows. There's a diversity of people. Everyday people just living their lives. Nomadic people that share their stories. Look at this man. Look at this beautiful man. This man is a pilgrim. He walked across the Tibetan plateau for eight months to get to one temple. Look at his eyes. Because after walking eight months, he still felt that he was not worthy to be in the temple. So he began his prayers, full body prostrations, as he circled around and around and around the temple to be worthy to go inside. Amazing people in Tibet. Beautiful monks. I know you all have seen the monks. I wanted you to see some of the nuns. Look at these beautiful ladies. Look at these beautiful ladies. This lady right here is about 125 years old. She's strong. She's strong. Strong and healthy. Because Tibetans do not believe that we must age and die the way we believe in the West. They have a different belief. Look at these beautiful ladies. They have a powerful wisdom. They have pieces of knowledge that we once had and that we lost. And we come back from lunch, we will go into a monastery and we'll look at the library and we'll speak to the, the abbot, the abbot and the monks in the monastery and ask them the questions of what they know that we've forgotten. Okay, we are not finished. We have a big afternoon. Before we return to the slides, I promised that I would answer some questions. So I will do my very best to answer the questions here. They're being translated into English so that I can look at them here. Some of the questions are similar to other questions, so I will try to do my very best to answer them in general. So what I'd like to do, uh, translators, may I uh, read the question and then I will read the response. Is that good? Okay. So we have a question asking about the holographic nature of reality, the holographic nature of knowledge. The question says, is knowledge holographic? Uh, in other words, if you know something in one place, is that knowledge everywhere? Uh, the question is, is it possible to say that we already know everything? This is a very good question. And I'm, I'm going to discuss this in, in a couple of different ways. What the new science has discovered in only the last few years is that knowledge is not something that we store in our brain. Did you know that information is not kept in your brain? I had the opportunity a few years ago. I got to see Albert Einstein's brain in a jar. It's at the University of Kansas in the United States. Albert Einstein's brain after his death. They removed his brain because scientists wanted to see what was different. What made his brain different than your brain or my brain? And do you know what the difference is? Zero. There is no difference. His brain looks pretty much like everyone else's brain. It had just a few more little wrinkles. What scientists have discovered is that the information, your memory of your past, your memory of your experience is not in your brain. It is in the field. It is in the divine matrix. And your brain is the antenna that tunes into the place in the divine matrix where that information lives. 
And other people, if they know how, they can tune to that information as well. It means there are no secrets. There are no secrets. It makes the military crazy. Because how can you keep a secret when there are no secrets? So the information of your life, of your memory, of your history, the information of the secrets of the universe, they do not reside in one person's brain. They are in this field that we call the divine matrix. So the question, is it possible to say that we already know everything? The answer is that the information to everything already exists. The question then becomes, can we have the feeling in our heart to create the antenna in our mind that tunes to the information that already exists? When you ask a question, when you ask a question of knowledge, what you are doing is you are initiating the process. You ask the question, I wonder how life began. And you have a feeling in your body about that question. And that feeling helps you to grow the right patterns of nerves in your brain so that those, those nerves can find that information in the holographic field. It's already there. How many have heard of the term remote viewing? Remote viewing. Have heard of remote viewing? The United States military uses remote viewing. And it uses it because... It works. Remote viewing is the opportunity for one person to be in a room like this, and they close their eyes, and they have a feeling in their heart. And when they have that feeling, their consciousness is able to see anywhere in the world into the battlefield of Iraq, into a building on the other side of the country, into a field in Germany. Because that information is already there. So in remote viewing, people are trained to close their eyes, go to an altered state of consciousness, and in that altered state, they move through the field of holographic information, and they can smell, they can see, they can hear what is happening in another place, because you and I are not limited to these bodies. Information is holographic, so the answer is yes. Information is holographic. Another question. How does the sacred feminine principle interact in the current global transformation? How does the feminine, what role, what role does the feminine play in the change that we're seeing in our world today? That's a good question. Because what we're talking about is the power of human emotion, the power of feeling, the power of intuition, which is something that has always come more naturally to the feminine. Sorry, gentlemen. Men have historically been trained to discount or deny the power of their emotions. Isn't that interesting? Men who historically, physically have been the strongest of the species have been conditioned to deny the very experience that gives them even more power in their lives, the power of human emotion and the power of human feeling. So ladies, the feminine is playing a vital role. You play a vital role because your mind and your body are created. You are wired, hardwired to experience emotion in ways that most men in most societies are only beginning to remember. So ladies, you are leading in this respect. And it's changing. Men are becoming more comfortable with this now. But it's a very important question. It's a good question. Um, there's another question. How do you know when you're using your heart and when you're using your mind disguised as your heart? Good question. Did that translate okay? 
Are you okay with that? In other words, I think the question is how do you know when you're having a feeling and how do you know when you're having a thought? We're going to talk about this when we go into the monasteries because this is a great secret of creation. This is a great secret of how we heal. But I'll give you a piece of the answer right now. Is that if you are in your heart, your heart has no judgment. Your heart has no ego. Your heart does not know evil, good, right, wrong, light, dark. Your heart knows only what is without the judgments that we attach to that. This is very important for where we're going in just a few minutes. The question, how does the divine matrix, what role does it play in reincarnation? Reincarnation. You know, in the Judeo-Christian traditions, reincarnation was a part of our culture until it was edited out, until the books were taken away. The talk about reincarnation. Almost every other spiritual and religious tradition allows for reincarnation. Christianity did until those books were edited. Books like the Gospel of Thomas. We're going to look at the Gospel of Thomas in just a moment. Books like the first book of Adam and Eve, the second book of Adam and Eve. They talk about reincarnation in the soul, in the body. They talk about the creation of our body and the creation of the soul, and how this body is created separately from the soul, and how the soul had to, how our bodies had to be made in just the right way to, to hold the power of the soul in this world. So in our culture, we lost that information. Others did not, but the divine matrix now is bridging those differences. The divine matrix gives science and spiritual... Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions and... Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Probably a common language. The divine matrix is also what is believed to be the heavens. The heavens that we talk about in the ancient traditions, in the ancient past. So when our soul leaves our body at the time of death, where does it go? It goes into the higher dimensional spaces of the divine matrix. Now this is interesting, as a scientist, 25 years ago, as a scientist, if I walked onto a stage like this, and I said to an audience, there are many higher dimensions where we may be conscious and experience. I would be laughed off of the stage because scientists did not recognize higher dimensions. They recognized three, maybe four dimensions. Today, however, the new theories of physics, they say that we live in a world at least, at least 25 dimensions exist in the universe as we know it now. So scientists, physicists talk about higher dimensions a lot. The divine matrix, these higher dimensions, provide the place for the energy of the soul to move in between lifetimes. As we begin to look at the ancient traditions from this new language, it helps us to understand what those people of our past really understood and what we're only beginning to understand today. Okay, there are other questions that are very good questions. And 
they lead directly to where we're going anyway. So I will answer the questions by continuing with the program. And we'll look at more questions after the break. Okay, if we do that, is that okay? Good. Okay. So this morning, this morning was a very fast morning. And I shared with you examples of the science that tells us that we are connected to everything in our world. And that the language of our heart is a language that affects our world. And that is why I shared the experiments as I shared them. The summary of those experiments, number one, that all matter is connected. Number two, that there is a field of energy that exists in what we used to think of as the empty space. This field is called the divine matrix, the field, the mind of God, nature's mind, quantum hologram, all different names for this field. Number three, that when we create the right feeling inside of our bodies, in our hearts, that we make changes in the field beyond our bodies. And you saw an example. You saw an example of that with the healing of the woman in the cancerous tumor. So I wanted you to see those things early in the day, before lunch. Now, I was trained as a scientist, as I mentioned. In my scientific training, I was trained to look in the world beyond the world outside of my body to understand the mysteries of the universe. So I asked myself the question, if there is knowledge that has been preserved in other traditions, where should I go to find that knowledge? And it makes sense to go to the parts of the world, to the places that have been least disturbed by modern civilization. And Tibet is a perfect candidate because Tibet in the highlands of central China has been closed to the West until 1980, only open to the West in 1980. So it was in 1998 that I had the privilege and the blessing of leading my first group uh, of pilgrims into the highlands of central China in Tibet. And I have been in 1998 and 2001, 2005, two times, and I'm going to combine all of those trips to share with you what we're finding here. In the book, The Isaiah Effect, some of you have read, the. who has read The Isaiah Effect? Anyone? Oh, thank you. Okay, so one of the questions that came up was what book do we speak about the Essenes? The Isaiah Effect is one book where we speak about the ancient Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S, the Essene traditions. It was in the book, The Isaiah Effect, that I have a chapter that is titled Meeting with the Abbot, A-B-B-O-T, the Abbot of the Monastery. And this is the abbot here that we met with, this man. Isn't he a beautiful man? It's this man I asked the question, I asked so many times, every monastery, every nunnery, every monk, every nun, every abbot. We were in 12 monasteries and two nunneries over 22 days. I asked the same question again and again and again. And this is the man that gave me the beautiful answer. And I asked the question, this is the question. I said, when we see your prayers on the outside, what are you doing on the inside? So when we see the chanting for 12 hours, 16 hours, 20 hours a day, when we see the mudras and hear the mantras and the bowls and the bells and the gongs and the chimes and the incense, when we see your prayers on the outside, I said, what are you doing inside? What is happening? When we see you create a miracle of healing, how did you do that? And this is the power of going into a living culture like Tibet. Because if we go into a temple in Egypt, or we go to a temple in the Yucatan of Mexico, we can find knowledge, and it's interesting. However, to some degree, we guess, we speculate what that knowledge means. Because we're reading an old text or a temple wall, and we're guessing. But here, we talk to another human, 
We look him in the eyes, eye to eye, heart to heart, man to man, God to God. And I can ask this man a question, how did you do that miracle? What did you do in your body to make that happen? And I'll ask him again and again and again until I understand his answer. So this is what happened. So I asked the abbot, when we see your prayers on the outside, what's happening on the inside? And his answer was this. He said, you've never seen our prayers because a prayer cannot be seen. He said, what you see are the things that we do to create the feeling in our body. The feeling is the prayer. The feeling is the prayer. He's telling us right here. He's telling us in a Tibetan monastery, 17,000 feet above sea level in the Himalayan mountains, this man is telling us the secret that was lost in our Christian and Jewish traditions when the edits were taken in from the books. And they practice and they live this. Feeling is the prayer. Then he turned the question around and asked me. He said, how do you do this in your culture? And this is what happened. When we lost the texts, when we lost the words in our biblical texts that tell us that feeling is the prayer, we began to believe that the words are the prayer. That if we say the right words, the right time of day, or the right number of times, that somehow magically a prayer will happen. And when our prayer is not answered, we become frustrated and we think prayer doesn't work. The words are not the prayers. The feeling is the prayer. You're going to see this three times this afternoon. The feeling is the prayer. So this is what the abbot shared with us. Now, after we met with this beautiful man, by the way, this man uh, passed away last year. He is no longer in this world. So I'm happy that we had the time with him while he was in this world. Look at these books. These are Tibetan books. Very ancient books. Some of these books are 1,700 years old. They are loose pages in between the cover. Look at these. Look at this. Do you see how the pages appear so old that if you touch them, they would crumble? Can you see that? Can you see that? They do. These books are so old, if you open the pages, they will crumble into dust. However, what we know is for every page in this book, the page is created from a wooden block that has been carved with every letter, perfectly replicated. It takes the monks seven, eight, maybe nine months to create one block of wood, one page of the book. Each of these, each of these is one wooden block for one page of the book. So this is the information that tells the name of the book, the page of the book, the chapter of the book in Tibetan language. This is the monk. We took that block of wood. We rolled ink, put a piece of paper, rolled the paper, and voila. Brand new book. Brand new image. So the information is not lost, even though the books are very old. The information lives on. So I asked the monk, I said, what is in these books? He said, everything. <laughs> I said, what do you mean everything? And he said, we have a record of every spiritual tradition that has ever come to this monastery. And then he poked me in the chest. He said, even yours. We have a record of your spiritual traditions. And I said, well, how do you know? And he said, here, I'll show you. And he pulled down a book. And you're going to see a piece of that book in just a moment. He began reading almost word for word the Essene Gospels 
that tell us the power of thought and emotion to change our world. And that's the book that he pulled down. Feeling is the prayer. This is what is taught in those Tibetan monasteries. The monks know it. The nuns know it. They have taught it. They have practiced it for 1,700 years. Feeling is the prayer. Now, there's a catch. Because not just any feeling creates the desired effect. Not just any feeling. Rumi has a beautiful prayer, a beautiful poem, that tells us about this feeling. Rumi says to us, look at what he says. Rumi says, out beyond the ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. He says, out beyond our place of judgment, of right and wrong, there's a field. Rumi even calls it a field. He said, there's a field. I will meet you there. What is this place? What is the place that Rumi talks about that is beyond right and beyond wrong? What is that place called? Beyond judgment and ego. The place where the feelings occur that create the healing and the miracles is a place that is beyond judgment and beyond ego. It cannot happen in the mind. It must happen in our hearts. Part of my heritage is Cherokee Indian, southeastern Cherokee. And there is a word, one word, in Cherokee traditions that means single eye of the heart. The one eye of the heart that sees what is, not the judgment or the bias or the fear. That word is Shante Ishta. Shante Ishta, C-H-A-N-T-E-I-S-H-T-A, Shante Ishta. The single eye of the heart, the eye that sees what is, that is the part of you where your power lives to heal your body, to heal the bodies of others, to create peace in your world. It's in the place beyond judgment and beyond ego. Now, 2005, I was back in Tibet for uh, 39 days. I was in Tibet. That sounds like a movie, doesn't it? 39 days in Tibet. Maybe a book title. Okay, Marco, it's on a... (laughs) The abbot that I showed you before has now passed away. And he's been replaced by this young abbot who is in his (laughs) mid-80s. So he's now the younger abbot. (laughs) And so I am now in the monastery with this abbot, and I'm asking him a question. I'm asking him the question, what is the force that connects everything in the universe? What is the force that holds everything together, that connects everything in our universe? everything in our universe. Didn't make sense to me. So I said, please, one more time. What is the force that connects everything in the universe? His answer was one word. One word. And you'll never guess what that word is. Compassion. Now look at this. This is very interesting. I said, wait a minute. Is compassion an experience that we feel in our heart Or is compassion the force that connects the universe? And the abbot said, yes. (laughs) That is a powerful understanding. That you and I are capable. We can have a feeling in our hearts. It's the feeling that the universe is made of. Compassion is both the force that connects and the feeling that we experience. And that is what makes compassion so very powerful. Now, our idea of compassion in the West is very different from the idea of compassion that we hear from the Tibetans. When we think of compassion, we think, oh, poor person, I know I need to help them. And and that may be a small part. But a lot of compassion is the ability to see the world for what it is rather than our judgments of what we make it. And that is a lifetime of work for all of us. We're all learning that right now. 
is this force. So the ancient instructions, how do we do this? The instructions are very precise. In the Buddhist traditions, and what we're finding in Tibet, number one, they're saying that to create the healing, to create the peace, to create the miracles, first, we must feel as if the miracles have already happened without judgment, without ego. And that's hard for the Western mind. So first we must do this, to feel as if our prayers have already been answered without judgment, without ego. Okay, now, we're going to switch gears, we're going to go to a different monastery. This is a monastery in Egypt, in the mountains of Egypt. By the way, I saw <clears throat> Italian mountains for the first time yesterday with beautiful new snow. Did you see them? Beautiful new snow yesterday? Very beautiful, very beautiful. Thank you, Savannah. This is the mountains of Egypt. And this is interesting because when you think of Egypt, you don't think of mountains. You think of desert and ocean, sea. But this is in the mountains of Egypt. There is a very old monastery. This monastery is at the very base of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai of Exodus, the book of Exodus. This is called St. Catherine's Monastery. Have you been to St. Catherine's Monastery? Some of you have seen it? Okay, then you know what you're going to see here. On the outside, this monastery looks very old. This is a Coptic Christian monastery. The monks are Coptic Christians. They wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and begin their prayers. They go to sleep when the sun goes down. They have no electricity that they use. The electricity is there, but they don't use it. They burn oil for their light. They bake their bread in the sun. They pump their water from the wells every morning. It looks very primitive on the outside. Wait until you see the inside of this monastery. Would you like to see the inside? Okay, I was very surprised when we saw this. We walked. This is in the middle of the desert, nowhere in the desert. Look at the inside of this monastery. The first time I saw this, in the middle of the desert, I thought, how could they do that? And then I remembered, the monastery has been there 1,500 years. They've had 1,500 years to decorate. So it's good. Alright, it was in this monastery. I know that there is a hidden library in this monastery. Beautiful library. Part of it is open to the public, part of it is hidden. However, before you get to the monastery, or to, to the library, you have to go past these rooms. <laughs> Every monk who has ever lived in the monastery, their body remains in the monastery, so the energy of the monastery stays in one place. So for 1,500 years, every body that has, of every monk that has died here, when the monk dies, they take the leg bones and put them in one room, they take the skulls and put them in another room, they take the, the rib cage and put it in another room, and they label them all, so they can tell us where Brother John from 1604, where his skull is. They keep everything. They keep everything in this monastery, including the records of the ancient wisdom. So we asked the question, is there a secret library? And at first they said no, because they did not want us to see these rooms. The only way to get to the library is to walk past these rooms. We convinced them that we would like to see this library. They took us past these rooms. We ended up in a room that looks like this. Now, can you see this door right here, the arch? Do you see the archway? And do you see this little window right here? There's a little window that's covered with brown paper. And this abbot right here, here's the abbot of the monastery. He's the man in the very back. I apologize, you can't see my pointer, but he's the man in the very center. 
I asked this abbot, can we look inside that room? And he said, no, it's not possible. And I said, please. And he said, we cannot. And I said, we've come a long way just to see this place. He said, okay. But he said, no photograph. No photograph. So I do not have a photograph. I want to tell you what's in this room. Now, this is an old monastery. They bake their bread in the sun. They use oil for the lamps. They have no electricity that they use. And we walked into that room, and all of a sudden, there is a room full of computers. Apple computer, Macintosh computer, IBM computer, scanners, satellite boxes. And I said, what are you doing in this room? And the monk became very serious. He said, we have been in this monastery 1,500 years. And we've been very fortunate because we have never been overrun by a foreign army. We've never been taken over. He said, but we think that this monastery will be destroyed in our lifetime. We think something will happen, that there will be a war in this part of the world, and this monastery will be destroyed. And he said, before that happens, we will scan every page of every one of our ancient texts onto the World Wide Web to preserve for future generations. And this is what they're doing, is they're recording all of the texts that are found in this, in this library for future generations, putting it up onto the World Wide Web. So the question, what is in these texts that's so valuable? What is in these old texts that makes them so powerful? Well, some of the things that are in these texts are icons, pictures of Jesus. This, this icon was created within 300 years of the death of Jesus from the descriptions of people who lived with him and saw him. This may be one of the closest representations to Jesus that we actually have today. There are old, beautiful, illuminated manuscripts like this. Beautiful books, Coptic, Christian texts, early Christian Bibles, only one or two hundred, three hundred years after the time of Jesus. And this is why I brought you to this monastery. I want to share with you one of these texts. One of the texts that was edited from our Christian Bible is in this monastery. And we saw it, and you'll see a picture of it here. How many have heard of the lost gospel of Thomas? The lost gospel of Thomas. Some of you have heard of that text. Very, very powerful text. The lost gospel of Thomas is powerful because it is believed to be the actual words of Jesus as he was teaching those around him how to use the power of human emotion in his life. I'm going to share two of these images with you. We said earlier, to unleash the force of the divine matrix in our lives, first, we have to understand how it works. And the science tells us how it works. Secondly, we must speak the language that the divine matrix recognizes. Science cannot tell us that. That comes from our past, from our culture, from our history, from those who have learned and used this language for thousands of years. So this is what we're doing right now. We're learning what did Jesus and what did the great masters say about this, this language. Because it's the same whether you're talking Buddhist or Hindu or Christian, pre-Christian traditions. They're all telling us that there is a field of energy and that we have the language to use that field. This is an actual page out of the Gospel of Thomas. So we know that this, this ancient gospel actually existed. And you can, you can see some of the letters. These are Greek letters. You can actually read some of If you know Greek, you can see some of the Greek letters right here. In the Gospel of Thomas, two very important keys. This was written right around 300 years after the time of Jesus. In this gospel, okay, so here, here's what we're doing. We've been in the Buddhist monasteries in Tibet. And they're telling us that we must, that feeling is the prayer, one. Two, that we must feel as if our prayers have already been answered. Okay, and now we're in an Egyptian monastery with the texts that used to be our tradition before they were edited. 
and we're going to look at the instructions that tell us how to do that. Okay, if we do that? Is that good? Okay. Gospel of Thomas. If you have a copy of the Gospel of Thomas, this is verse 106, translated from the Nag Hammadi Library. And if you do not have a copy, it's in our books, uh, and you can, you can go to any library and pick this up. Verse 106. Look at what the Lost Gospel of Thomas says. It says, when you make the two thought and emotion one. So the Gospel of Thomas is talking about thought and emotion. It's saying, when you make your thought and your emotion one, look at what happens. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You will say to the mountain, mountain, move away, and the mountain will move away. Saying that when you can marry your thought and your emotion into one single potent force, that is when you have the power to speak to the world. The tumor that disappeared in the woman this morning, that is an example. When those practitioners had the thought of the woman being healed and the feeling and the emotions were all one, the mountain moved, the tumor disappeared. Okay, so this is one place. Now, secondly, when you make the two one, what are they talking about? What are the two? Let's go back to our image. The two, thought and emotion. When the two become one in our hearts, we create the feelings in our bodies. When thought and emotion become one, you'll see how to do that in just a minute. Let's go back to the Gospel of Thomas, another verse. Now, this is verse 48. It says almost the same thing. This was so important that it was recorded at least three different times in the same gospel. Look at what this says. If the two make peace with each other in this one house, when Jesus is talking about the house or the temple, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Precisely you. You are the house. You are the temple. If the two make peace with each other in this house, if thought and emotion become one, if they make peace with each other in this house, look what happens. They will say to the mountain, move away, and it will move away. He's telling us again, in a completely different verse, how powerful it is to marry thought and emotion. But they still haven't told us how. How do you do this? That's the next piece. In the early Christian Bible, your Bible today, there is a passage. How many have heard, ask and you shall receive? Have you heard that before? Ask and you shall receive. Have you heard that? I know people that ask and ask and ask and nothing happens. Because the asking is not done with the voice. The asking is not done, please, please, bring this to my world. That's not asking. To ask, we must speak to the field, to the divine matrix, in the language that the field recognizes. In a language that's meaningful. The field doesn't recognize our voice, it recognizes the power of our heart. Remember this morning, our heart, we have a feeling, creates electrical waves, magnetic waves. That's the language the field recognizes. 
So when you create the feeling in your heart as if your prayer is already answered, that creates the electrical and the magnetic waves that bring that answer to you. And you're going to see this in just a moment. Ask and you shall receive. While we still have this passage in our text, in the Bible that you have today, the King James Version, John 16, 23, 24, what you have is the condensed version. You have the edited version. The edited version looks like this. This is the edited version. Whatsoever ye ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Okay, this is the edited version. This is so amazing to me because they took out the two sentences that tell us how to ask. In the fourth century, when the edits happened, they took those two sentences out. Would you like to see those two original sentences? Okay, we'll go back into the original Aramaic and we'll look at a new translation. This is the original Aramaic. It begins, it looks very similar. So this is the retranslated version with the missing pieces. All things that you ask straightly, directly from inside my name, you will be given. It says, so far you've not done this. Because if we ask with our voice, we have not done this. Now here's the piece that was edited. Here is what was lost. Look at these two very powerful sentences. Ask without hidden motive and be surrounded by your answer. Be enveloped by what you desire that your gladness be full. Look at what it's saying. It's not saying to speak a word. It's saying to be surrounded, to feel as if. If you are surrounded, you are feeling as if. Your answer has already happened. Be enveloped. If you want the perfect relationship in your life, if you want the healing in the body of your loved ones, feel the feeling of what it is like as if that has already happened. Be enveloped by what you desire. Because that is when your thought and your emotion become one. You think the thought of the healing in your loved ones, and you feel the love of that thought. They become one, and that is the language this field recognizes. Does that make sense? Are you okay with that? You're going to see an example of this, another example here in just a moment. Ask without hidden motive. What does that mean? Hidden motive. Ask without judgment. This is precisely what the Buddhists are telling us. Ask without the judgment of the right or the wrong or the good or the bad. Ask without the ego. Ask from the heart. Is this meaningful to you? Is this helpful at all? Let me give you an example then. Because to be, if it says be surrounded, that means to feel as if. To feel as if. Now if that sounds too religious, because it's from the Bible. We spoke, spoke this morning uh, about Neville. Uh, the, the philosopher Neville, early in the 20th century. His book, The Power of Awareness. Look at what he says. It's the same thing. Neville says, you must make your future dream a present fact. Now... By assuming the feeling of your wish fulfilled, to come from the place that it's already happened. Now, this is what those practitioners did with that cancerous tumor. I want to just elaborate on this a little bit. When those practitioners healed the woman with her tumor this morning, they did not judge the cancer as wrong or bad or right or good. There was no judgment. They accept that tumor as a possibility, one of many possibilities. Because in the quantum world, all things are possible. So they didn't say, bad cancer, you must go away. Or we're going to operate on you, or we're going to use radiation on you. They didn't do that. 
They accepted the cancer as it was, without hidden motive, without judgment. And they said, now we're going to choose a new reality by feeling, assuming the feeling as if the woman is already healed. So what they did was they felt the feeling as if the woman was fully healed, fully enabled, fully capacitated, already happened. And the, the chant that they were using, wassa, wassa, loosely translates into the words already done, already done. And then when they got excited, they said, may, may, may means now, 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 not a year from now, not a month from now, not five minutes from now, now, in the quantum world, now. And her body responded, it must. Physical reality must respond to the language that it understands. So in the Buddhist traditions, they are telling us the quality of the feeling. And in the Judeo-Christian traditions, they are giving us the instructions to be surrounded to be enveloped, how to create that feeling. And when you put those all together, it's something that happens in our hearts, not in our minds. Feeling as if the prayer is already answered with no judgment and no ego, and feeling from the result. Feeling from the result, as if it's already happened. Are there any martial artists here in the room? Karate experts? I studied martial arts uh, when I was in my 20s and 30s, a little bit in my 40s and 50s. Have you seen martial artists when they demonstrate their focus by breaking a concrete block. Have you seen that? You've all seen that before, right? Okay, here's the secret. Here is the secret to breaking that block. When the martial artist is focused on that block, the very last thing that they are thinking is about their hand hitting the block. Because if they think about that, they know it will hurt. So they focus on what happens after their hand has passed through the block as if it has already happened. They focus on a place below the block and feel the feeling as if their hand is already in that place. That is a metaphor, that is the equivalent for what we're doing with the power of emotion. Feeling as if the experience has already happened. When I left, when I left the corporations as an engineer, I moved uh, into the high desert uh, in the United States, a place called New Mexico, Nuevo Mexico, uh, about uh, uh, 3,000 meters above sea level is where my home is. And there are indigenous people, native people in that area in the early 1990s. And it was during this time that this part of our country was experiencing the worst drought in over 100 years, no rain during this time. And a native friend of mine called me one day and he said, Greg, would you like to come with me to a place, a very special place, where my ancestors have gone for many, many years to pray rain? He said, would you like to come with me to pray rain? Now, I, I like the language that he used, because he said this place is special because the skin between the worlds is very thin in this place. I like that language. So I met my friend, and we went to this place, and it was a circle of stones, kind of like this. Not this exact place, but very similar to this place. Now, I was not prepared for what I saw. Because I, I believed I would see some dancing, some chanting, some singing, some Native American stuff. And that's not what happened at all. My friend sat down and took off his old shoes. With his naked feet, he stepped into the stone circle. He honored his past. He said the words... All of my ancestors, all of my ancestors, all of my ancestors are with me now. 
Then he closed his eyes and he held his hands in a prayer mudra like this. And he turned his back to me for about 20 seconds. And then he looked at me and he said, I'm hungry, would you like to go get food? <laughs> and I said, yes, but I thought you were going to pray for rain. And this is, this is when he looked at me and he said, no. He said, if I pray for rain, rain could never happen. So because the moment you pray for something, you have just acknowledged it is not here now. If you say, dear God, please let there be rain. Please let there be healing in my loved ones. Please let there be peace in the world. Please let my soulmate come into my life. If you say that, what you're acknowledging is that it is not here now. Remember the divine matrix is very literal. If you say, please let, the divine matrix says, okay, I will let and let and let. Because there is no completion, there is no outcome. Does that make sense? So I asked my friend, his name was David. I asked my friend David, I said, if you did not pray for rain just now, what did you do when you closed your eyes? Such a beautiful story. He said, when I closed my eyes, I felt the feeling as if the rain has already happened. He said, I felt the feeling of what it feels like to feel my naked feet in the mud in my Pueblo because there has been so much rain. He said, I smell the smell of what it smells like when the rain falls off of the earthen Pueblo walls in our village. And he said, I felt the feeling of what it feels like when I run through the fields of corn and the corn is so high because there's been so much rain. He said, and then I gave thanks of gratitude and appreciation for the rain that has already happened. So he didn't ask for the rain. Now this is interesting. When those practitioners worked on the woman with the cancerous tumor, they did not judge the tumor as right, wrong, good, or bad. They accepted it as it was, and they said, now we're going to make a new reality. When my friend David prayed rain, he did not judge the drought. He said, this drought is our medicine until now, and now we will create new medicine. This is key. Feeling as if it has already happened. Well, I'll tell you the rest of the story. We had lunch that day. By the time I got back onto my property that afternoon, something began to happen that had not happened for a long time. Big black clouds were coming in from the eastern mountains, and it began to rain that afternoon. And it rained that night. It rained the next morning. It rained into the afternoon. By the evening, it had rained so much, and the ground was so dry that it began to flood. The roads were flooded. The crops were flooded. The cattle were stranded. And I called my friend David on the phone, and I said, this is a mess. I said, what in the world is going on? And he said, hmm, that's the part of the prayer the ancestors could never really explain. <laughs> it's, like, it's like they could get they could get the rain to begin, but they didn't know how to tell it, how much to rain. Now, I cannot prove to you scientifically that David's prayer made that rain happen. I cannot prove scientifically that those practitioners made the tumor disappear. But we can say there's a high correlation, a very high correlation between when they feel the feelings and when the change happens. Okay, now there's more to this story. This is very interesting. Within the last month, I was on tour in Australia with a dear friend, Dr. Bruce Lipton. I know many of you know Bruce Lipton's work. Uh, I will meet him in Vienna tomorrow. 
And we are presenting in Vienna, in Zurich, in Frankfurt, in Hamburg over the next week. So if you have friends who are interested, please let them know. Uh, can we bring the light down just to talk you through? Just a little bit, a little bit. It's, it's a little washed out, isn't it? it needs just... That's good. That's good. Just a little bit. Thank you. So we were in Australia uh, last month. While we were in Australia, something happened. Look at this. While we were in Australia, Prime Minister John Howard made an announcement. He said the rivers of Australia have dried up. There is no water. It's all dust. This is a river. This is a riverbed right here. He said there is no water for crops, no water for cattle, no water for irrigation. Australia is in big, big trouble right now. This was the front page of the Australian newspaper. John Howard asked the nation to pray for rain. What happens if you pray for rain? Okay. But there's more to the story. Because Bruce Lipton and I were in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, doing these seminars. And there were people from the government in the audience. The next day, look at what happened. They declared a national rain day. But look at this. The idea was inspired by Greg Braden's book, The Isaiah Effect, in response to Prime Minister John Howard calling on the Australians to pray for rain, before we left Australia, something began to happen. And it started to rain. And it rained and rained and rained. And we were in Sydney and it rained so much that the streets were flooded and people were not prepared. But the good news is that it is raining in Australia. Now, I cannot say scientifically that those prayers made that rain happen. But I can say there's a high correlation between the time the prayers happened and when the rain occurred. This is a connection that our ancestors have told us for hundreds and thousands of years that we can speak to the elements of the earth. We can speak to our bodies. We can speak to the world around us to create peace. In the early 1980s, Israel and Lebanon were in the first Israeli-Lebanese war, the first war. Researchers from the United States performed an experiment in the Middle East they trained individuals to feel the feeling as if peace has already happened. This was the very famous experiment. Orm, Johnson, Alexander, Davies, Chandler, Larimore were the authors of the experiment. The experiment was called the International Peace Project in the Middle East. The results of this experiment were so profound that they were published in the Journal of Conflict Resolution, Volume 32, 1988. So the reference is here if you'd like to see this for yourself. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. They trained individuals to go into the war-torn areas and feel the feeling as if peace has already happened. They did not judge the war. They did not judge the Israelis good or bad, or the Palestinians good or bad, or the Lebanese good or bad. There's no judgment, no ego. They simply went in and felt as if the peace has already happened. Just like David felt as if the rain has already happened. Just like the practitioners felt as if the woman is already healed. You see where we're going with this. And what happened was each time the practitioners performed this experience, peace happened in the Middle East. Terrorist activities stopped altogether. Crimes against people declined. Emergency hospital room visits declined. Automobile accidents declined. And when the people stopped their feelings, all of those statistics reversed. Everything went back to where it was. And the researchers said, well, maybe it's a coincidence. 
Maybe it's a holiday. Maybe uh, it's a, a full moon. Maybe there are more people on the streets today than yesterday. So they did the experiment again and again and again, and every time the results were the same. In fact, they were able to determine how many people it takes to feel peace for peace to happen in that area. Here's what they found. Very small number. They said if you can get the square root of 1% of your population to feel peace, peace will happen. What does that number look like? Let me show you the math. These are very small numbers. The square root of 1% of the population. If you have a city of 1 million people, how many people are in Milan? Do we know? Approximately? 5 million? So, okay. Yeah, well. (laughs) So, muchos personas, right? (laughs) Okay, if you have a city of 1 million people, here's how the formula works. You take the number of people, total number of people, Multiply by 1%, so 1 million times 0.01 gives you the number 10,000, okay? Now you take the square root of 10,000, 100 people. In a city of 1 million people, if there are 100 people that know the language of peace, they can begin that experience of peace. What does that mean for our planet? Let's look at our planet. Earth has a population a little over 6 billion people now. Close to 6.5. If we do the same thing, 1% of 6 billion people is 60 million people. If you take the square root of 60 million people, the number is just under 8,000, 7,746 people. There are 1,000 people in this room. Seven rooms like this can change the world. And that's just the beginning. What happens if many, many people come together on the Internet, on the World Wide Web? They coordinate and create that peace. Well, it has happened. It's been done. Princeton University organized the studies, and while the people are feeling peace, all that happens is peace. The problem is that people stop feeling peace and then walk away from the experiment and everything changes. So what I'd like to do is this. We're going to go into the last part of the program in just a few moments. Before we do that, we'll take our bathroom break. We come back, we're going to look at this a little bit more, And then we're going to have some experience in the room that helps us know what this feeling is all about. Okay, do you have an announcement you'd like to make? Okay, if we could do 15 minutes, a bathroom break, I'll meet you back here 15 minutes. Thank you for a really, really wonderful session. Thank you. So this is a very fast day. We have a little bit more I'd like to share. And have some experience here in the room. This morning, we spoke about the Institute of Heart Math, their discoveries that every human heart around the heart is a field of energy. Five to eight feet, two to three meters diameter. And this field of energy can be measured now in ways that make it very useful to us. So this field of energy, if you are within two to three meters, with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. ...of another person, you are sharing their heart field. So in this room, there are approximately 1,000 people in this room. 1,000 heart fields, but we are all sharing one field in this room. Yes? Does that make sense? Okay. So, the Institute of Heart Math has designed equipment that will help us to measure this field in the room. If we can detect the heart field of one person, because we are all linked, then we are all detecting one another's field. So we have a little experiment that I'd like to do this afternoon. The purpose of this experiment, it will help us to know what kind of feeling in our heart creates the effect in our world. And this is what I'd like to do for the rest of the afternoon. So let, let me explain a little bit about how this works. I have some equipment on the computer here. If I can measure you, or you, or you, or me, I'm measuring the entire room because all of the fields are linked together. Okay? Is that okay? So if we can measure either what is called HRV, is in Victor, HRV, heart rate variability, we can measure heart rate variability, or we can measure pulse, transit, time, or we can measure respiration. If we can measure any of those things, then we are able to tell what kind of signal our heart is sending to our brain. Every moment of every day, your heart is having a conversation with your brain. Every moment of every day, your heart is sending signals to your brain, telling your brain what kind of energy to send to your body. So if you are experiencing stress, that is one signal your heart sends to your brain, and your brain sends stress chemistry to your body. That's not good. But if your heart is experiencing compassion, joy, love, gratitude, appreciation, it's sending a different signal to your brain telling your brain to give life to your body. So a positive con uh, conversation is life-affirming. A negative conversation is life-denying. Every moment of every day, there is a signal from your heart to your brain. So if we can measure pulse transit time, heart rate variability, or respiration, we can tell what kind of signal is going from our heart to our brain for the whole room. We can do this. So I'd like to do that. Are you okay? Would you like to try an experiment here and see? What, what kind of emotion is in this room right now? Would you like to do that? Okay, so here is the way this works. Here's our heart field right here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to shift to a, a piece of software that will allow us to measure this field in the room. <clears throat> in every moment of every day, our nervous system linked with the heart is using what is called sympathetic nervous system sympathetic nervous system is okay and parasympathetic nervous system sympathetic and parasympathetic stop and go 
for every moment, if I stand here like this, and I blink my eyes like this, my heart had to speed up and slow down so I could blink my eyes. When I'm speaking, my heart speeds up and slows down so that I can speak. When I move my arm, my heart speeds up and slows down so I can move my arm. The sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system are allowing this to happen. We can measure this here on this screen. So what I'd like to do is measure this for the entire room. So to do this experiment, what I'm going to ask, now, not yet, okay, but when I ask, I'm going to ask us all to connect with one another physically, to hold hands with one another in the whole room so that everyone is holding hands with someone else so that we have a circuit in this room across the aisles. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, and I'm going to need one, two, three, four, five, six to stand there, 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 so you can connect to me. Okay? So let's do this. Let's all connect in this room, okay? Everyone, is, everyone should be holding hands with someone else so that we are all connected in one circuit. Yes, I'm someone up here because I'll have to be holding hands. So the idea is that we are all connected in one circuit. And just a moment, we won't need the circuit. But for right now, we have the circuit, okay? Now you're all connected to me. I am connected here to the machine. So we are all reading one reading together. So I'm going to begin this. Okay, okay, can we bring the light down just a little bit, please? Okay, can you see the purple color? What is uh, purple in the title? Viola? Okay, Viola? See the Viola? And Simone? And how do you say yellow? Jello. Jello here. Okay. Simone, sympathetic nervous system. Viola, parasympathetic nervous system. Jello, balance. It's the balance between. So the ideal reading that we're going to, to accept is a reading right in the center of the yellow, 0.01 is the reading that we're going, is, is the optimum reading. And what this is going to do, it's a, a real time, a live reading in our group audience. We are no longer individuals. We are now a community. We are a community sharing a heart field. And we're measuring the conversation between our heart and our brain in this room. When I begin the experiment, and you will see it change as we go through this experiment. So here, I'm going to begin, and it takes only a moment to calibrate, it's calibrating here, okay, and when we begin, watch the bottom graph, and it will, it will be a bar chart, you will see the bar chart, okay, this is a real time reading in this room, this is where we are right now, it's not right, it's not wrong, it's not good and bad, but it's a very good reading because the optimum reading is 0 0.01 in jello, and we're there, and you haven't even done anything special. Now, we're going to learn a technique in just a moment. Learn a technique in just a moment. 
Watch, this is a real-time reading. Okay, now, I'm going to invite you to focus your attention in the center of your chest, in your heart, not your mind. Here is how to shift your attention. With your hand, touch your heart center, touch it on your body. And when you do that, it will draw your attention from your mind into your heart. Just touch it momentarily, just for a moment. And it will draw your attention into your heart. Okay? Okay, and now you can hold hands again. Go ahead and hold hands. And from that place that you touched, if you can begin to feel in your heart feelings of what you would call gratitude and appreciation. Gratitude and appreciation. If you can feel gratitude and appreciation in your heart and begin to breathe gratitude and appreciation from your heart center, not your mind, in your heart. Okay, and you can look at the screen, look at what's happening. All of our readings now are concentrated in the yellow. Because we're becoming very balanced right now. These are good readings. We're becoming very balanced. Breathe into your heart center gratitude and appreciation. Take a deep breath in your heart. Feel the feeling of gratitude and appreciation. For anything. For your life. For your health. For your family. For this day. For our world. For your healing. Look at this reading right now. Look at this. Look at this. Very good reading. See the balance in the jello? All right, now drop your hands and feel that feeling. Drop your hands and feel that feeling. And look at what happens. The field connects us without touching one another. We don't need to hold our hands because the field has connected our hearts. And it's already happened. You do not need to physically touch another person. The field has connected us right now. Beautiful readings. This tells us that your heart in this room, this room is a very balanced heart room. And with that balance, we can create miracles. They may be happening right now. This is the place where miracles happen, where healings happen. Sometimes physical, sometimes emotional. This is the place where these things happen. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, breathe through your heart, feel gratitude and appreciation. This is the feeling that the Tibetan monks and the nuns teach in the monastery. This is the feeling in our heart. It is not a process in the mind. The mind may think about the experience of appreciation and gratitude, but the heart, your heart is what feels that experience. This is a very balanced room right now. Beautiful, beautiful readings. Okay, so you can open your eyes. That's a wonderful experiment. Does that help to have the feeling? Does that help? This is what the monks and the nuns teach in the monasteries. You remember the abbot said to us, he said, feeling... With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
is the prayer. Do you remember that earlier? Feeling is the prayer. The monks and the nuns, they spend 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours in a day in the monastery creating the experiences that give them the feeling. And the feeling is the prayer. We are conditioned to live our lives in our mind and discount our feelings when the truth is that our greatest experience, our greatest power comes from the feelings of our heart. So I wanted you to have just a little experience here this afternoon so that you know the kind of feeling in your heart that creates those effects. And that's what we did. So thank you for our, our little experiment here. There is no contest. It was just a way, no right readings or wrong or good or bad readings. It was just a way for us to know the feeling in our hearts. Can we bring the lights down just a little, a little bit, please? this morning with two false assumptions that science has asked us to believe. Number one, science asked us to believe that space is empty, that there is nothing between you and me, and now we know that's not true. They've asked us to believe that thought, feeling, emotion, belief have no effect on our bodies or our world. We know now that that is not true. These are false assumptions. Our understanding of this changes everything. It changes everything about who we believe we are. I ask you this morning, who are you? A passive observer or a powerful creator? And now you have the information to answer this for yourself. You know that you are a powerful, powerful being, a powerful creator if you choose to use your power. If you choose to use your power. And it is a power based in your heart. The power of human emotion. Neville said to us, he said that we have an infinite power against which no earthly force is of the slightest significance. In other words, he says, we have an unlimited power that nothing in this world can touch. In the presence of this power, people live extended lifespans. Scientists today tell us we should be on this earth at least 120, 130, 140 years. What would it be like to live 140 years? Think how much we could get done. Would you like to live that long? Maybe. To live that long and be healthy and vital. You know, the biblical traditions say that we are in bodies that should last at least 900 years. The ancient Essenes say we should live in these bodies at least 900 years. They say, however, the first 100 years are the most difficult. Let me share with you why. They say that the first 100 years are the most difficult. And here's the reason why. Have you ever wondered why we are, are such powerful beings? Every cell in our body can reproduce. The cells in our heart can rebuild themselves. The cells in our brains can rebuild themselves. You are rebuilding yourself every moment of every day. Why would such a powerful being suddenly die after only 70 to 100 years? Have you ever wondered why? Why are we limited to a lifespan of maybe only 70 to 100 years? Why is that? The ancient Essenes say that those first 100 years are the most difficult because it takes us about 100 years to learn how to heal the hurt of living in this world. That it takes about 100 years to learn how to heal the pain of losing the things and the people and the places that we love the most. That 70 to 100 years appears to be how long your body and my body 
can sustain itself in the presence of unresolved hurt. The unresolved hurt of losing the people that we love and hold dear. And of seeing the world change so very, very quickly. They say that the secret to living beyond that 70 to 100 years is to find a way to reconcile, to resolve, to heal the hurt of the things that we lose in this life. And that it takes about 70 to 100 years maybe to do that. So I think that's what we're doing now. If we can love one another, and if we can love this world enough to allow one another our experience and know that we have this power within us, if we can love and allow, if we can love without the judgment and the ego and the attachment, if we can love fully and openly and completely, there's no reason for our bodies to stop working after only 70 to 100 years. And now scientists are telling us precisely, precisely the same thing. To unleash that force of long life, of the divine matrix in our lives, we must first understand how it works. And we took the time before lunch to do that. You now understand that this field of energy is everywhere, all of the time. That this field of energy has been here from the beginning, from the time of the Big Bang. That there is no empty space. That every place in the universe is pulsing with a living energy. You now know that. And you saw the experiments that show that the DNA of a human body is in communication with this field. The DNA speaks to the field. And you saw the experiments that show that the feelings and the beliefs in your heart create the waves, the standing waves that speak to the field. You now know these things. You don't have to suspect them. You've seen the experiments. So now we know how to speak the language that field recognizes. It's the power of human emotion. It's the power of human feeling. You felt that this morning when you saw the two baby girls. Isn't that an amazing picture? An amazing picture. I love this picture because it tells us who we really are. They are too young to have learned this from their parents. This is inherent in our being. We are beings who love, we nurture, we care, we are born to love in this world. And this shows, precisely, they're only a few hours old. And they know this already. That's why I like this picture. That feeling, that is the feeling that reminds you of the power in your heart. It reminds you, as Neville said, that there's a power within you that nothing on this earth is stronger than. There's a power within you that allows you to transcend the laws of physics and biology as we know them today. Because what the experiments showed is that in the power of your emotion, in the power of the feeling that you have when you see this, you are no longer limited by the laws of biology and physics as we know those laws today. And that is a powerful place to be. Rumi said, what strange beings we are, sitting in hell at the bottom of the dark, we're afraid of our own immortality. Maybe we're afraid of our own power. Maybe we're afraid of our own power. Because if we really understood that within every human heart is the power to create in this universe in ways that we can only imagine, what would our world be like? I think we're about to find out. I think we're about to discover precisely that. Because the power to do so lives in every single one of you. The power to create, to heal, to love, to create peace in our world, peace in your family. To have the love and the nurturing that you choose and desire. That power is already in your heart. The secret is you must feel the feeling as if it has already happened. So that the divine matrix can give you what it is that your feeling has just identified. The feeling 
The secret is that you must become in your lives the very things that you choose to experience in your world. You must feel it first so that the field can mirror it back. Does that make sense? Are you okay with that? Does that make sense? Okay. We're very near the end of our program for today. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want to know, first of all, has this information been meaningful to you? Does it make sense to you? Yes or no? Thank you. It's only one question. Okay, question number two. Is it meaningful in your life? Is it useful? Can you use this in your life? Okay. Question number three. Can you see how... With the power of human emotion, you are no longer a victim of the things that happen in this world. Can you see how you are no longer victims of this world? This free presentation is brought to you by Quantum University. Hello, my name is Greg Brady. If you are watching this presentation today, what I know is that you know this is certainly no ordinary time in the history of our world, in the history of our nation, of any nation, in the history of the people of the world. And I want you to know it's not your imagination. We are living in an extraordinary time, an extraordinary time of, of change in the world around us. And what that means is that our lives are changing in ways that we simply have never seen before. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How can we embrace this change in, in a healthy way? How can we find the resilience in our personal lives, in our families, in our communities to thrive in a healthy way in what now the experts are calling the time of extremes. So I'd like to begin uh, with a, just a, an amazing statement by a man I have tremendous respect for. Uh, his name is E.O. Wilson. He's an evolutionary biologist, and what he says about our time in history begins by saying that, that we are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. And that is such a powerful statement. And, and as I read this, uh, I knew that he could have stopped right there. And it would have been just a, a beautiful and very accurate thing. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.